Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jacks. Austin Lane. He's a former Jack star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna Jar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. I still haven't been drafted. <laughs> so are you going to go to college then, or what's the plan now for you? <laughs> I think I'm going to college. Going to college. <laughs> I'm going back. Let's do it. I feel good. I haven't been drafted either, man. This is coming from the kid with the game-winning home run in the Little League semifinals in yeah, Wisconsin. No respect. Zero. How about this? What a Wednesday here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. You know, I just come out of the boss's office. We're talking ideas for the fall. I love ideas. Yeah. I'm like, I love, I'm an idea guy. That's cool. I mean, do I look like a light bulb or what? Uh, you're, you are radiating uh, positive energy today. <laughs> well, I'm trying to help him out. Yeah. Is that a bad thing? Yeah. I look like a light bulb? I'm missing it. What are you getting over that, my head, under my feet. If you're talking about like shape, I mean, you oh. know. Oh, dude. I think it's more personality. Yeah. But. I mean, listen. The two most ripped Careful. guys in sports okay. talk radio. I thought you were getting rid of bad mouth me. I, I appreciate mean, this it. This has nothing to do with body type. We, we might be the two most in shape guys in, in sports talk radio. Oh, no. There's no question. Okay. I, I'm saying, I'm not talking about the Jacks failure. I mean, forget that. I'm talking. Oh, in general. The world. I have to do a little more research. But okay. In Jacksonville, it's not hard. Uh, <laughs> I wish I'd say that. Have been fired. That's uh, Brent Martino at Twitter.com. <laughs> at Twitter.com. <laughs> yeah, I own it. <laughs> uh, that should have been the I am awesome one. Uh, <laughs> it's all right, though. We're still learning. Hey. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> there we go. Hey, we also have a clock in here now. Yep. And now it tells the right the, time. Now there's, a, there's pressure. We have to hit the brakes on time. Sure. Yeah. Um, didn't didn't request the clock in here. Actually, never did. actually, TV? actually requested a TV in here. Yeah. So uh, we're getting warmer, but yeah. not quite a television just yet. Slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. A big show lined up. Maurice Jones Drew will join us. You played with Mojo, of course. Give me a memory of Mojo. One <laughs> uh, I can tell. No, I'm just kidding. Um, listen, Mojo. So to kind of put it in perspective, I guess uh, my rookie oh. year. You know, uh, Mojo was, I, I can't remember how many years deep he was with Jacksonville, but I had a preconceived notion of what the NFL was like when I got to, to leak, you know, and one of those things was, I guess I didn't realize because coming from a small school where you had to play and practice pretty much every single rep, I didn't know that there was a pecking order about how things went in practice. And I got introduced to this, um, probably going into week two of training camp when Jack Del Rio was doing a team meeting, talk, talking about the practice he's going over, he's like, oh, and Mojo, by the way, zero contact for you the rest of the camp. And I was like, well, damn, okay, <laughs> I didn't get on that Mojo plan. But I mean, Life is yeah. good. But, but then it turns out, like, you know, a lot of teams do that, obviously, with, with their star players. I mean, the Kansas City did with Jamal Charles. There was never any contact for him. So um, in practices, you know, where Mojo could be run through a hole, if you t- even touched him, even grazed him, uh, Jack could have something to say about it. Jeff Fisher with the ultimate explanation of Maurice Jones-Drew. A rolling ball of butcher knives. Yeah. He once there said were, about him. There, there's a few guys in this league um, that I actually just would sit back and kind of be in awe of just the, their playing abilities. Um, Calvin Johnson, obviously, I would sit back on the bench and just be like, this dude's just insane. Uh, 
Mike Vick, when he played for the Eagles, was another guy where you're just kind of like, man, I can't believe that guy can do that. And then Maurice Jones-Drew was right up there as well. And um, I, I wish you would have had some audio of me on the sidelines when he would run the ball sometimes because I would get so excited. Like to the point like where I'm actually like off my bench now, Joe Cohen's going through the schemes where we have to fix on, and I'm actually just standing up Hang watching on, Mojo. Joe, I gotta yeah. watch. Cause, and you uh, didn't even have the big video boards then. No, we didn't. No, no, this is uh, this is the old school stuff. So. All right, so we'll have Maurice Jones-Drew on today. And and it's there's a lot of different facets of Maurice Jones-Drew as we continue to celebrate 25 seasons of the Jacksonville Jaguars here in the month of June. Different Jaguar every day. We had Jimmy Smith and Keenan McCardell to start this thing. And uh, today, Maurice Jones-Drew. I think Maurice is the first player in Jaguars history to transcend Jacksonville. He was really the first national player for the Jaguars, where people all around the league, fan bases all around the league, knew a Jacksonville Jaguar player so much. And I know what you're saying. People knew Mark Brunel and Jimmy Smith and Fred Taylor. Yeah, they did. Mm -hmm. But not like they knew Maurice Jones-Drew. And the reason for it was fantasy football. Because he scored touchdowns, he got on fantasy football league yeah. teams. And he it was right in the, the start of fantasy football when it started getting popular. And so for that, I say he's the most national player the Jaguars have had. Now, he's got some competition because Jalen Ramsey, I'm not sure he's overtaken Maurice Jones-Drew, but he might have. And he's closing in on it at the very least. And now they have a couple of guys because Calais Campbell you can make the argument for. I think even now Nick Foles you can make the argument for. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, absolutely with fantasy football kind of put Maurice Jones-Drew on the map. But what really set it off for me, you know, being a kid from Wisconsin who grew up watching the Packers, and I forgot what year this was in. I, I want to say, I think I was in college. I might have even been in high school. But when Maurice Jones-Drew laid out at the time who was at the top <laughs> of his game with Sean Merriman yeah. and absolutely depleted him as he was blitzing through the hole, uh, that that moment was seen everywhere, you, you know, and, and people wanted to poke fun because you know Maurice Jones was kind of on the shorter side of his stature, yeah. and he was able to and plant like five, six. And, and he was able to <laughs> plant uh, Sean Merriman, man. But that that play for me stands out as um kind of the play that put Maurice Jones on the map. It's a good call right there yeah. too. It, you know, it wasn't just fantasy football and scoring touchdowns mm-hmm. from a couple yards out. It was. He, he was a great personality in yeah. the Jags locker room. I think for a little bit he was the face of this franchise and very successful, uh, belongs in the pride of the Jaguars at some time. But what, there's another interesting part of it with the Jags fans, I think. Toward the end, I think there was some friction between the way some fans felt about Maurice Jones-Drew. And it all stemmed from him trying to get a contract, his last contract, a new contract. And I will say, and I'm not, I'm going to tell you this right now. And if you've listened to me on, on radio, TV, social media, when we've had this discussion in the past, I've said this in the past. So this will not be because we're having Maurice Jones Drew on today. And I want to bring it up to him today. But I defended Maurice Jones Drew in that. He knew he had one chance to go get more money mm-hmm. in a, in a career that was probably only going to span about six, seven years. And, He had a chance to go get it. Now, we can debate whether he handled it the right way and everything, but that was the year to do it. Coming off that that rushing title where he basically did everything against eight, nine-man boxes, heck, probably ten-man boxes, and was still able to run for 1,600 yards, that was the time to go try to get one more contract, try to get paid one last time, try to get a little bit more money out of this NFL career that was going to be short-lived. And I've always defended Maurice Jones-Drew on that front. Again, we can debate a little bit how it 
went down. But uh, I think fans got a little upset at Maurice Jones-Drew during that time. And uh, not to, to say that now they don't like him anymore, but there was a little friction toward the end because of it. So uh, well, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, uh, later today with Maurice Jones-Drew. And, you know, and then that kind of goes back to a point I made before on the show where loyalty works both ways, right? Like people wanted Maurice Jones-Drew to stay because they felt like as a fan base and as a franchise, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars fandom and the team was loyal to Maurice Jones-Drew. But what people then realized was that especially at the running back position where there's not a long lifespan in the running back position. I don't care how good you are. Um, he, he made it a point to try to get some more money and, and you can't fault a guy for doing that. And I get, it doesn't matter who the guy is. I mean, it, it could be the most loyal Jacksonville Jaguar of all time, which some might say it might be Maurice Jones when he was there, but at the end of the day, it's still a business and he, he made a business decision. Um, in, in order to be successful in the NFL and to have a, a lifelong career, it's not about making um, loyalty decisions. It's about making business decisions, and Maurice Jones-Drew made one of those. Yeah, and we're going to talk to Maurice Jones-Drew uh, in a couple hours here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Looking forward to it. Uh, one of my favorite Jags, uh, for sure. We still run into him a bunch at all the different things, the draft, the Super Bowls, because he works for NFL Network now. Uh, always have fun talking to Maurice Jones-Drew, so we appreciate the time. And throughout the course of the show, you're always welcome. Jump in on Maurice Jones-Drew. What some of your favorite memory star star 690 easy number to get in, uh, in touch with us and jump in on the conversation uh also more jags talk including the schedule a way too early look at the jag schedule of 2019 our latest stop denver colorado week four will be against the denver broncos ryan o'halloran former uh, jags beat writer now out there covering the broncos for the denver post he will join us around 4:15 today so a lot of football talk to get to hunter barco did finally get drafted just happened a short time ago in the 24th round. But Hunter Barco from Bowles, who was, you know, predicted by many, myself included, to be a top 50 pick in this Major League Baseball draft, slid down the boards for what I would say unknown reasons at this point until we learn more. Uh, but last night, he even tweeted out, said, I can't wait to get to Florida. Like at, at some point, he told teams that I'm going to school. And I'm not going pro, so don't worry about trying to pick me. I'm not going to sign with you. And he did get picked anyway because team in the 24th round, yeah, it's not you, much of a gamble. Take a risk. Yeah. So uh, the Mets did that. And the Mets, it's interesting because the Mets, I think the Mets just took Tanner Murphy out of UNF today, and the Mets also took the number one right-handed pitcher for the Florida Gators, who also might not sign and. We'll go to University of Florida. It yeah. looks like that's uh, Matthew Allen, and I'm pretty sure the Mets took him later too. Uh, well, a little earlier than Hunter Barco, but they took him yesterday. So Mets uh, are are interesting. They're kind of involved with all the guys of interest. It seems like. Let me ask you this question, and this is coming from a guy who is by no means an MLB draft expert. But in the case of Hunter, Barco, I don't know if there is one. Okay. Well, in the case of Hunter Barco, I mean, would it have been smarter not to say anything and just to see where he goes, so we can get a gauge of you know where he goes right now and then where he can go in the future as opposed to announcing he's going to college and then having a team, you know, draft him way, way lower. I think there's a lot of conversations that take place. Just like when you were drafted and people might have said, hey, you're going to go between the third and seventh round and people start calling, right? And, so it, and it happens all the time in the NFL draft. Hey, we're thinking about you picking up in the sixth round or fifth round or seventh round or maybe if you, if you slide out of it, we want you as an undrafted free agent. Those conversations take place and I think probably most teams got the sense that Barco was going to school. 
Okay. Uh, so I don't know if that mattered. And you have to keep those. You want those relationships to stay strong because you want teams to like you three years from now when you're draft eligible again. You don't want to burn any bridges in that sense. Uh, so a lot of locals drafted, which is really cool. Uh, let's talk some more football when we come back. Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690. Also a little NBA chatter today. We got another game on the way. It's me, DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, the king of bada bing. This is Action Sports Jacks. Bang! <laughs> I don't think we even talked about. It. He actually made an appearance at All Elite Wrestling. Oh, he for did. The he was yeah. one of the Double veteran guys. Yeah, he ended up uh, carrying out Cody Rhodes' wife after she threw a tantrum uh, during a match. So, made a little appearance. There we go. Yeah. What's uh, what has All Elite Wrestling been doing since the Vegas? Like, so for the last ten I'm days. I'm sure just basking in their greatness right now. I mean, that's all they can do. But uh, I mean, you gotta prepping. stay. You gotta stay yeah. relevant, right? You yeah, gotta so, get my attention. That's my exactly. My point. So they're 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 announcing the like the, the new matches coming up for Daytona in Fighter Fest. It's called. Uh, I think it's gonna be a wrestling and video game convention. Um, I went there last year. Actually, it was some, it's called something different. Uh, so it's a pretty Is that cool. That's the Speedway. No, it's uh, it's at like the convention center. Okay. Yep. And uh, so they've been announcing or fi- been announcing bouts. Um, one of the biggest ones so far is going to be Moxley, uh, who made his debut as well at the pay per view. Will be wrestling Joey Janela, which is one of my personal favorites. He's the guy that got a, a cigarette stapled to his head. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, that should be a good one to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> Joey Janela, oh, the, the bad gosh. boy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of like cigarettes, yeah, stapled uh, to people's head. I'm listening to a podcast right now, and uh, it's called Crime Town. Okay. And, by the way, you should listen to our podcast, Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Um, so after I listen to that show, I listen to Crime Town. But it is it is really fascinating. Now, it's home. It's It's got a tie for me because it's all about the mob and mafia in Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah. And it's about the mayor of Providence who, you know, served one term, well, actually a couple terms, and then went to prison and then uh, came back and served as mayor again. Mm-hmm. And then later, I think I've told this story before, but later had like the most popular radio show in Rhode Island. Dang. I, I mean, the guy was a rock star, but yeah, yeah. it's about uh, the mob and mafia and how prevalent it was. And when I was growing up, like, it was. Like those were news stories. Like mm-hmm. I remember watching the news and hearing the names that are mentioned in this this uh, podcast series. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was real life stuff. It yeah. was fascinating. And I think right when I was in high school, they put an end. Like they got the the big ones. Like they were done. They put an end yeah. to the mafia. In fact, one of the uh, Jack White, a reporter I worked with in Providence when I was there and I was a young pup and, and he was on the older side of things. Mm-hmm. He helped take down the mob. He was a reporter in Rhode Island and he helped take that's, that. Uh, like, I mean, from a reporting standpoint. Yeah, but it's still quite the job. To be doing that, man. I don't, yeah. It's some unbelievable story. So, uh, so anyway, I'm well, listening to it. And yeah. You don't have to be from Providence is my point. You should really li- like, if you like that stuff, I mean, everybody liked good fellas, right? Well, yeah. And that's my question to you. Are you kind of surprised just this country's infatuation with like mobsters and just like gangsters and stuff like, I mean, like, like Pablo Escobar, like Narcos. I mean, everyone was talking about that show. Everyone was all about Pablo Escobar and like let's not get it twisted here he's not a hero no he's not a good dude no. and that's it's so funny you said that because I was just thinking like a guy says in this this deal one of the wise guys yeah. says if you're going to be bad be good at it <laughs> you sure. know and yeah. it's a great line that's fantastic but 
I found my. I had to check myself a couple of times. I'm like rooting for the mafia Chip guy the bad here. guys, right? I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like these are not it, good dudes. No, they're yeah. not good. This is yeah. not good. But you're. But in Rhode Island back then, yeah. in like between the like seventies, eighties, and even the early nineties, mm-hmm. I think. But definitely in like the mid seventies to late seventies, and then in the eighties. You didn't know who you were rooting for because it was all bad. Yeah, uh, it's fascinating, and like I didn't know that stuff as much as a kid, sure, you know. Sure. But now going back, someone turned me on to it, and so I've been listening the last couple I'll of days. Check that out, man. It, it's really good, and I yeah. guess they have another series. I don't know where they went next. I, I didn't see the um, uh, season two. This one's from like a couple of years ago. But anyway, if you're into that stuff, and I'm not a huge like podcast listener. We've talked about this before, uh, like you, like Joe Rogan. Yeah. Um, but I've I've seen now a couple of these. I have a couple of podcasts that that I'll go to outside of Action Sports Jacks on ESPN uh, 690, and they are fascinating. The crime ones seem to to be a little more fascinating than everything else. Like I've the Frozen Truth is another one I would highly recommend. Yeah, that yeah. takes place in Wyoming. Yeah, and it it. It's like uh, you can binge that sucker in a couple of days. Whenever we go up north uh, for a snowboarding trip, um, you know, so we go up through upper, like the upper peninsula through Michigan. And when we go up north, there's actually, I think it's called the hideout now, but um, it's probably about like two hours away from where I grew up. But we go through the woods, and it's where Al Capone had like the, the most famous, like the the world's famous shootout, basically. Yeah. And uh, it's still a restaurant until this day. So like they still cut the bullet holes in the walls and everything. And like I guess sometimes if you go outside, you can still try to like find shells and stuff from that whole incident. Really. Yeah, uh, and I forgot what the movie was called, but there's an Al Capone movie. I think Johnny Depp was in it, and like the the, the big scene is when they're sh- at the big shootout, and that's where that place is. Well, so yeah. you can get you can get a burger or something, Nuts. and uh, <laughs> try to find some gun shells. But yeah, but it's like you said though, it is amazing how we glorify uh, the bad guys sometimes. Well, I think we also do it because it's over. True. Or it feels over. It's yeah, done. I mean, I, I feel like we think. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, even like even El Chapo, I feel like too a little bit. I mean, that guy's still alive. Like Rolling Stones doing interviews with him and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a weird scene. It is a, it is a weird fascination. Yeah. And uh, you wonder if it stems from Goodfellas. Yeah. I mean, it's one. It's Scarface, Goodfellas. I mean, you all know? those. You name it. Yeah. I mean, it's an awesome movie, right? Fantastic. I mean, if you're going to name movies, yeah. it's going to be on a list somewhere yes, for sir. you yep. uh, to, to really remember and love. So uh, anyway, Crime Town's the name of it. I uh, just thought uh, I'd share. Yeah. Are you a reader, by the way? Um, I like, have I have read materials before, yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> so you don't read books? Uh I mean, not. I don't have time. You know, like if yeah. I had time, I definitely would. Um, I probably should a little more, but I haven't read a book in a long time. Yeah, I, I don't really. I, I yeah. might try to grab something, then I'll get like yeah. three chapters in, and yeah. I, I just can't continuously do it. So what I I have done a little bit of is the audio book thing. So I, I drove down to Fort Myers. Oh, yeah. I was listening on minor league baseball book. It's really pretty good. Yeah. Um, and so now I'll do that. But then there's a good chance I won't listen to this thing again for another six months or yeah. a year. Yeah. That's what happens to me with Absolutely. the books. And, like, as far as reading, if I do read something, it's be like a comic book because it's, like, so short. So I feel like I'm accomplishing <laughs> something. Yeah, like, if I'm, if I'm trying to read, like, War and Peace, I mean, it's going to take me a decade to go through it, you know, so I'm not really accomplishing anything. Uh, hey, my, uh, I'm going to ask Maurice Jones-Drew about this, too, mm-hmm. because um, – uh, to bring Maurice back up, but OTAs and and all this attendance stuff that everybody talks about, I find myself. Uh, I might have told you this yesterday. Oh no, I think I told somebody else. But Ty said to me, yells downstairs yesterday. He's like, "Why do you guys care if some of these guys are at practice or not?" Yeah. He's like, "I don't know." I said, "I don't know." If people care. There's nothing else to talk about right now. <laughs> and uh, he said, "Aren't they voluntary?" Said, yeah. He gets it. He's like, I don't get it. 
I was like, okay, good point. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, hey, you're you're, you're absolutely right. Um, but we really do care about it. No, we, well, we well, do. The, I'm not saying the we, royal like, we? I, yeah. No, like no. the we in terms of the masses. No, right? I hear From you. From Odell yes. Beckham Jr. Yeah. to here to the, yeah. if a big name. Now you don't really care if the, you know, the the backup left tackle isn't here. Yeah. But the names, and again, it's the news cycle more than anything else mm-hmm. because we've got to fill, NFL Network has to fill 24 hours of programming. Yeah. Everybody's got to fill this time of year. I mean, you get caught in that web, but it's become a thing a little bit that people care so much about this and oh, it's, narrative start, right? It's, it's so cliche, like, oh, these guys are paying millions and millions of dollars. They can't show up to this practice, yada, yada, yada. Um, first of all, just give me a break for a second. And, and number two, listen, and I've said it before on the show. There, there is no substitute f- to get in football shape, um, as in playing in a football game or going through football drills. But the OTAs are different. You're not wearing the full pads. You're not getting the contact. Yeah, you're going through individual drills, but it's not the same thing. So from a perspective of the benefits of OTAs, it's just the whole mental thing. So now if you're a rookie and you opt out of OTAs, yeah, I'm going to be a little worried flag, about you. Yeah. Because that's your time to get acquainted in the NFL. If you're a vet, if you've been through the system before, um, I really have no issue with you missing any OTAs at all. I, I don't care who you are. Now, yeah, it's probably smart for a quarterback who wants to be successful to be there because it's all about building time timing, especially a new quarterback like Nick Foles. Um, but if a and there's a leadership there, quality to that position. A leadership quality. You know? Yeah, but at the same time, I've said it before too, Brent, those guys in the locker room, they're not like looking over their shoulder to see, oh, well, so-and-so's not here yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to mark that down like some kind of leader that guy is. Nobody cares. Yeah, I promise you. Do you get the sense though that some guys don't show up, so other guys say, "All right, I'm out of here too now." This they to um, end the week. Yeah, it can absolutely be a snowball effect, especially if you're, if you're a little sore and you're a little banged up, and it's 98 degrees outside. Yeah. Um, you see some guys not there, and it's voluntary. Yeah, the, the, that could very well uh, mean the point. But once again, this is we're talking about voluntary things here. Well, uh, we've talked a lot about the CBA in recent weeks, and I think we'll continue to talk about them. I th- do you think there's a better chance these become mandatory as part of the NFL calendar or they get just obliterated and taken away? Because, see, I think it should be either or. Uh, if I'm – I don't know if I would, like, die on the sword of either or, mm-hmm. but I would like to see if I'm inside the NFL, if I'm inside a, a team, a franchise, or maybe in the NFL offices or players union, if I'm one of those three monsters – um, I would like to either say, hey, I've got to be here for mm-hmm. a three-week period so I know I'm here. So I don't have to make these silly decisions about whether, oh, no, the coach is getting mad at me because I'm not here. Or I'd like you to just get the heck away from me for five months and I'll see you in training camp. So here, here's, here's what I think. Um, in a perfect world, yeah, you wouldn't have OTAs, but they do serve a purpose, and it's helping the rookies out. If you were to get rid of OTAs completely and expect a rookie to come in to training camp, and that's his first introduction to his teammates, to his coaches, to life in the NFL, uh, you're doing that rookie a disservice. So I'm all for having OTAs or like a mandatory minicamp, but just shorten it. Shorten it by like three weeks. You know, maybe have six of them total where they're mandatory. And that way the rookie can get adjusted a little bit. He can get acquainted to it. So by the time training camp does start, you know, he can 
hit the ground running. Because if you really think about it, we started taking attendance around April 15th. That was off-season conditioning. That wasn't yeah. OTAs, but it was a couple weeks of that. Then yeah. it was a rookie minicamp. Then it was OTAs for three weeks. Now yeah. it's mandatory and, minicamp. And you just can't have an OTA or a, a minicamp that's mandatory where just the rookies are there because then they, they still don't get the full effect. You know, like they have to get used to um, working with their teammates, working with their coaches uh, on a full team level. So I'm all for keeping OTAs and minicamps, but let's shorten them up by a couple weeks. Yeah, I wouldn't make mind it mandatory. That um, and by the way, I think uh, maybe the media should only go like once a week and then we wouldn't get some of these storylines. <laughs> hey, uh, NBA uh, game three uh, of the finals. Let's talk about it next on ESPN 690. ESPN 690, Sports Interrupted. I'm Jake Mitchell. Stanley Cup is heating up. St. Louis pulled the series even to two apiece last night in St. Louis. And game five is Thursday. Jags OTAs continued and team leader Calais Campbell spoke to the media. You know, we should, by the time the season starts, you know, everything's flying different ways, you're going to get so much better. You know, right now you need to work on the small things, go back to the basics. You need to really work on, like, the small details of the game. And, uh, you know, because when you get to, you know, to the season, you know, so much of it is theme and what they're trying to do, and you don't really get to the basics. So it's nice to be out here working on the basics over and over again. I'm really going to help the young guys, too. That's probably the best part of it. Game three of the NBA Finals will be tomorrow night. You can find it on ABC at 9 p.m., as well as right here on ESPN 690. Stay connected with ESPN 690 while you're at work by listening on ESPN690.com. Make Jenkins Hyundai of Jacksonville your first and last stop for all your Hyundai lease return needs. No two leases are the same, so Jenkins Hyundai of Jacksonville wants to help you make the perfect choice on your lease return. Jenkins Hyundai of Jacksonville will buy out the last three payments of your Hyundai lease up to $1,500. This also includes free maintenance and your choice of a $50 Amazon gift card or a Visa check card. Visit JenkinsHyundaiOfJacksonville.com for more information. Our daughter, Emmy, was just 19 months old. I'm Bodie Miller, and this is my wife, Morgan. She was such a bright light in our lives. While visiting a friend's house, Emmy drowned in a pool. She slipped out the back door, and in the space of minutes, she was gone. Drowning is the single leading cause of death in children ages 1 to 4. We believe it should be the number one thing parents think about when it comes to safety. Drowning is preventable. This is urgent. Please talk with your pediatrician about how to keep your child safe. The following message is sponsored by the Florida Department of Elder Affairs, the Florida Association of Broadcasters, and this radio station. Sarah is 64 and loves to garden. Recently, her health insurance ran out, leaving her worried about more than just weeds. She called the Elder Helpline and spoke with a volunteer shine counselor about her options. There, she received free, unbiased counseling on health insurance for those on Medicare. For more information or to volunteer, call 1-800-963-5337 or go to floridashine.org. The lowest fee in real estate is coming soon to Jacksonville. There's no longer any reason to pay 6% to sell your home. Introducing Rex. Rex sells homes for the lowest fee in the industry. 2% total, saving thousands of dollars per transaction. With Rex, you get a full-service team backed by technology. They don't market homes the way traditional agents do. Rex uses advanced digital marketing tactics to directly target hundreds of qualified buyers to your home the moment it goes on the market. And Rex charges only 2% total, not the 6% commission your local broker expects. 
Get started now by calling 833-REX-HOME. That's 833-REX-HOME. Since 2015, Rex has saved homeowners millions of dollars in fees across California, Texas, New York, and Colorado. Now it's your time, Jacksonville, to sign on for a simplified and cost savings approach to buying or selling a home. To get started, call now at 833-REX-HOME. That's 833-REX-HOME. Rex Real Estate Exchange Incorporated. I think he's a very good coach. Why do I give a damn who the next head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers is going to be? Of course, it's news. The Sports Center. Uh, John Beeline is the next head coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And we move the on. The Stephen A. Smith Show. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jack. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anajar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. See the softball game last night? Saw some of it. I saw, I think... So, yeah, the Alabama, no, I'm sorry, the UCLA pitcher gave up a home run in the bottom of the, or the top of the seventh. Uh, bottoms? Uh, top no, seven, yeah. To, to tie the game. two outs. And then the UCLA player was laughing about it. And I said, oh, I'm good. That's all I needed to see. And I'm going back to watching Japanese cartoons. <laughs> so I was watching anime then. <laughs> I'm, I'm good, man. Like I said, softball's a cult. No offense to softball players because they're still athletes. But the, the cheering and just uh, the ambiance of those games, serious cult. Serious, serious cult. It's, uh, it is the weirdest thing. You just said it. Both the catcher and the pitcher were smiling. Laughing. After that pitch. Laughing hysterically, Brent. And it's unbelievable. Like, my daughter plays softball and I can't get her to smile after one of the, <laughs> after giving up a hit. Forget about the, that kind of Good. hit. That's called, it's called easy intensity. She's listening. To, uh, no, I tell you, I've, I, I can't get a straight answer on this. Because I think the softball people will be like, oh, yeah, well, that's the way we – no. it's It's got to be like – like if you had a positive coach guru come in and talk, which you did but many a times in your career, yeah, yeah. right? You had, like John Gordon does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's specialized in that stuff. I I feel like this is a the, – the evolution of that has really infiltrated like softball. Where, yeah, they're having a lot of fun, the cheering, the this, the that, but also it takes their mind off the pressure of the situation, and that's where the smiling comes into play. But it is so bizarre to see it. Yeah, It's so bizarre. If I lose in ping pong, I want to throw the paddle. <laughs> I'm not smiling. Yeah. I might drop an F-bomb. Mm-hmm. Like, if I get a double bogey in golf, I might wrap my club around a tree. I- I almost threw a club uh, off hole number three off the par three when I missed my birdie at the golf course, and I don't even golf. But my point is that's probably why I usually make a seven on the next hole and not a par. This girl comes back on the mound after letting it go, flushing it, as they say. I think she said, like, after the game, it was like hashtag toilet is what they say to flush it. Okay. And she knew she made a bad pitch, like nothing I can do about it. So now I'm going to go after her and and get the next person out. Mm -hmm. But, uh... It is bizarre. It is so outside the realm of what we are used to. Mm-hmm. Like, we, you can't give me another one that does it. Like, you can't give me another example of somebody that, that would give up a home run in the World Series with two outs, two strikes away from winning the whole thing, to tie the game. And turn around and smile. No, forget that. <laughs> give me, Give me any sport. 
ever, where if someone messes up so bad, where they might have cost their team the game, where they just smile it off and say, ah, we're all good. And this is, this is genuine smiling. This isn't like trying to smile through the tears. Like, no, oh, got to hang no. on for the cameras. No, this is genuine laughter, genuine smiling. Give me another sport. I dare you to. It, because yeah, you can't do it. it. It's fascinating to me, though. I'm not knocking this, by the way. I think it's incredible. So it's, I'm not, I just, I, it's not for me, though. Ben, I think it's an it. incredible thing. And, and what is happening in softball? And I, believe, I think I might have said this or hinted at this the other day. See, we thought lacrosse. Lacrosse has this boom going on, and and I feel like it's plateaued a little bit at some parts. Like in the South, it's still growing very well. Mm-hmm. But I thought it would burst on the scene from maybe like a professional level or a TV sport or something. And I feel like that part of it's plateaued. I know participation is up. I get it. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you. I was talking to somebody this morning, and you know what another sport that actually is is big popularity from like a scholarship standpoint is crew or rowing. Row oh, yeah. I was getting recruited by Wisconsin back in the day. Big. Yeah. Big. Like, yeah. I, I was talking to Alex Ricker Gilbert at Jacksonville University last year, and I think he was telling me they have like 20 scholarships for women's rowing. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, really? Mm-hmm. And so that's become a popular sport kind of a, uh, as an underground thing. Sure. Um and and I did not know that. Like I did not know that until last summer, uh, yeah. when I talked to Alex Ricker Gilbert about it. And it's a popular thing, but it's not popular to the masses. Softball has come out of nowhere, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and partially in my house because my daughter plays it. So now I'm paying attention to it more. But I'm telling you, I put it on social media and people are into it. You you go to a ball field, the baseball field. People are like, did you see the softball game last night? Yeah. They are into it. Softball has taken a leap. Maybe bigger than any sport that we're talking about, the lacrosses, the rowing, the this, the that, than I can remember. Mm-hmm. It has taken such a leap in the last five years, a lot focus right here, and ESPN helps that big time. But I want to go to Oklahoma City. <laughs> like, the atmosphere there is awesome. That's what sports is about. We talk about atmospheres, right? You want to go to Cameron Indoor. You want to see Duke play in front of that atmosphere. We love college football atmosphere when it's nuts and going crazy. Florida, Georgia, right here in Jacksonville. I, you can feel it, man. It's jumping off the TV, whether you like the cheering or not. I'm talking about the crowds are into it. They're dancing. There's always it's, noise going on. It is it's good television. It's good atmosphere. television. It is good television. But it's just... Uh, you know the cheering, and then it just it didn't do it for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, and it's hey, different. And with, with all due respect, it's Kaylee, right? Your daughter. Yeah, yeah. With all due respect, because uh, from what I heard from you, she's a pretty great athlete. Well, I don't know about I would, okay. Let's not go crazy. Okay, sorry, let's so, not. We don't want to do that to Kaylee. We don't put that expectation that on ego. It. Okay, sorry, but um, you better keep close tabs on her man in college because if she goes to get a scholarship for softball, and all of a sudden she comes back and she's happy go lucky. <laughs> she's in the car. I, I don't know if it's narcotics. I don't know if it's some kind of like. People get hypnotized, but Brent, I'm telling you right now, man, you might want to keep tabs on her. That's all I'm saying. Not trying to scare you. No. Not not trying to knock on softball, but uh, it sounds like you are. It is a cult, uh. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll and I'll stand on that hill and I'll die on that hill. Uh, you are dying on it. <laughs> it's a fascinating watch to me. All right, uh, could be a fascinating watch tonight. NBA playoffs, game three. I don't know where to go with this series. I honestly don't. I mean, they're all banged up. I mean, how much can they overcome? You have to tip your cap to to what Golden State's been able to do. But how much can they overcome? No Durant, again, we know that. Clay Thompson, I think he's going to give it a go. But I tell you what, you're one stride 
away from that thing going, well, the hamstring, and that that hurts. Yeah, and listen, I'm like a jump shooter. Well, and I'm not going to tell Clay Thompson to step it up because that guy. I don't think has ever missed a playoff game, he if I'm not it. mistaken. So he he's known uh, for playing through injuries and things like that. You didn't tear it, okay? You, you didn't tear it. You strained it. Oh, Char- Charlie might be playing with a broken jaw, uh, you know, for the Boston <laughs> Bruins. So, I mean, if your team needs a clay, you yeah, might have to wrap the thing a little tighter and get out there. That's all I'm saying. Here's the thing with that, though. I mean, would you rather have Clay Thompson out there, let's say he's at 80% and then gets hurt, and then you don't have him for the rest of this season, or you let him rest for another what could be almost four to five days, you know, and then you have 100% Clay Thompson and you have him for game, you know, six, seven, depending on, on where he goes. Yeah, you have to be borderline dead to miss two playoff games in the re- <laughs> in the NBA playoffs because they yeah. take such a break between <laughs> games. That's why I Kevin mean, Durant's probably going to be yeah, somebody, yeah. somebody check Durant for a pulse. I mean... <laughs> You can break your leg and come back at the time of game five. I like, mean, what did, what did Boogie do? He, like, what did he tear his hamstring or something? It was, I mean, oh, yeah, he, tore, like, off the bone. And, yeah. like, I mean, it was, you know, a few series later, but he's he's back, which yeah. is kind of wild. I, I do, th- I mean, I think Clay Thompson will go. I think a bigger question, that's a good question, Kuz, about Clay Thompson. I think the bigger question is is what you always ask in these, it's become cliche, is how is he 60%, say he's really only 60%, Clay Thompson, going to be effective? Because mm-hmm. a guy can hurt you out there. If you have expectations by putting that guy out there yeah. and you're waiting for him to deliver. And again, he's a jump shooter. He's got yeah. a leg injury and he's a jump shooter. That has, Whoa. I know it's a hamstring and not a foot, yeah. but it's still, well, and, I, and he's also a solid defender too as well. Very good you know? defender. And if you have that messed up hamstring, you could be a liability on the defensive side of the ball. And you already so. kind of have to hide Steph a little bit. Steph's defense not that great. So you have to kind of find the guy that's going to be then the least offensive impact and put him on it but now if you have clay who also might need to be hit a little bit uh you could you could have some trouble with that with the raptors so fair enough this game to me is all about two guys for the warriors iguodala and draymond green iggy another one who is banged up a little bit and you see him limping around but because i don't think you're getting 100 percent clay thompson looney's already out durant's out Steph Curry's going to get a ton of attention again. I don't know if he'll get the box and one again, but he'll get attention. Well, then it becomes about two guys to me, and how much can they elevate the game? Now, you might get the, the Quinn Cook hitting a three, but I'm talking possession by possession, Iguodala and Draymond Green. Draymond Green might need one See, of those triple-double triple, triple double kind of games, w- and Iguodala might need to hit a couple big shots. I would say I would almost put it more on Boogie because – he that's this is essentially what they brought him in to be True. that guy that they can run the offense through. I I'm, I think he had six assists last uh, game if I'm not mistaken. So that's another side of it is they can have him and kind of you know run a pick and roll or whatever off of Boogie already with the ball down low a little bit, and that will if Curry's cutting in and Clay is playing, you know people are going to have to sag off a little bit and then maybe he does get that. Well, three. and you have a guy, too, on the other side with the Toronto Raptors, Marcus Gasol, a guy who, when he gets going, helps that team a lot. Yeah. It's almost like they feed off him. So he's got to slow with, him down. Well, exactly. And you saw the last game what happened where Boogie was in. Gasol uh, missed a couple shots early on in the game and kind of lost his confidence. Didn't yeah. really call for the ball anymore. We were joking around uh, Bogut, who played six minutes, yeah. had six points, and Gasol, who played almost 26 minutes, exactly. had six points. And, and listen, I mean, I, I get Boogie's a different kind of defender, and he's not even 100% yet, but if you're Marcus Gasol, you had demand for that ball because you're brought there yeah. for a reason. You know, I mean, Kawhi Leonard can't do it all, and we don't know what's going to happen with Lowry. Every once in a while, he's uh, he's on. Sometimes he's off. So all that said, why don't I think there's a chance in you know what that Golden State is losing this game tonight? 
I have Golden State winning tonight. Yeah. Because they're at home. They're at and home. The guys are going to have to rely on, you know, the younger guys. You know, they seem to be more comfortable at home. It's 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 a thing, I guess. Yeah. So that's the other part of it. So most impressed I've been with the Warriors during this whole run, though, is is yeah, these last now. few weeks. Yeah. And because when, when there's definitely adversity they've been facing, not just because of this injury. I, I'm talking what they've done since Durant went down to Houston, mm-hmm. where Houston really could have taken advantage of that, and they, I'm not sure Houston was their equal. That's probably not fair, but they were good enough to beat them. Mm-hmm. You know, they were good enough to beat them in that series if they had played better. Yeah. And whatever they've done since that time, I think it was, you know, two games remaining when Durant went down to now. Well, I think it's the most impressive part about this five-year run uh, the Warriors have been on. And don't make a mistake about it either. I mean, Steve Kerr is a hell of a coach. Absolutely. You, you, you look at basketball, it's all about chemistry and how those, those guys play together. The lines that they've been using right now have not been used the entire season, you know, because of all the injuries and everything. And Steve Kerr's done a great job of getting everybody on the same page and, and winning that ball game. So uh, I think props to him as well. Yeah, and as is the case, when you're really talented, and they are talented, I feel like I could coach them the 55 or 60 wins. Yeah. You, the coach doesn't get much credit, but that dude is a master of adjustments. Yep. And he does and get probably enough credit exactly. for it. Exactly. I mean, you find out what kind of coach you have when you face adversity, and Steve Kerr is the guy that can handle adversity, it seems like. All right, we'll see what happens Game 3 tonight. You can listen to it right here on ESPN 690. Falling and falling when we come back. How about a little balling and falling early? On Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Ryan O'Halloran from the uh, Denver Post covers the Broncos on the way in about a half hour. Maurice Jones-Drew coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. We will give away a $100 gift card again on the show, celebrating 100 shows this week. Now we're beyond that. We're well beyond it. Yes, we are. But the $100 giveaways continue. And do want to mention that we will be on Friday at Renna's Pizza, 3 to 6, Come on out to Neptune Beach. That's their newest location. So we'll be at Reddit's Pizza, 3 to 6 on Friday, uh, right during their happy hour, by the way. Their happy hour, two for one. Uh, so come on out. And on top of that, come on out, buy a pizza, sit down, have a have a beverage, whatever. And I will buy you. I will buy you a small pineapple and ham pizza. I was just going to say, if I even so as much smell a pineapple... When we're doing the show? Oh, you're going to smell it. Oh, I'm, uh, hey, I'm walking off then. Because yeah, you, it, it's, it's a Friday and I don't do Fridays. You, you, it's true. You better, <laughs> you better hope that the sea salt smell of the ocean mm. at Neptune Beach overtakes a little bit of the uh, pineapple. But that's what I'm going to do. In honor of you, really, this is I'm putting my money up for you. And As in what? Well, just really to kind of tick you off as much as oh, possible. Okay, yeah. I mean, I appreciate that. Uh, it's the like hater a, of pineapple pizza. That's that's like a team chemistry, you know. I mean, that's not. We're we're a hundred shows in now. You think we would try to get along a little more? But that's fine. We we can keep uh, going this direction and keep feuding over pineapple pizza. I'm not gonna lose it. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm not gonna lose it. So we got the chemistry of pineapple and ham pizza. Yeah. And but let's, let's, let's ask Twitter what they what, that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> but anyway, so come on out. How about that deal, right? Yeah. Come out to Renna's Pizza. I'm buy you a small pie. Yep. And if you pick pineapple, I'll give you a small punch in the face. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just quit him. I'm not I'm not going to threaten our listeners. Uh, but come on out. Say hello. Uh, make a night of it out at the beach if you're heading out there. Um, come on out. Stop by. Three to six on uh, Friday. We will do that. Brent Martin, Austin Lane, Coos is here. Coos is leaving in a half hour. 
everything okay at home? All you, good, man. You, you, oh, know, are you, you, know, you sure? You know oh, yeah. what's going on? I, I, I heard rumblings. I heard rumors. <laughs> Go ahead and tell us, Coos. I'm going to happy hour. Hmm. As a as a part of the show to promote the happy hour horn, or what are, you, what are we thinking here? No, it is a celebration of my other show doing so well with mm. the uh, higher ups. This mm. <laughs> is unbelievable. But you have a show here to do though, right? Or well, that yeah. So you're leaving this show to go celebrate another show. Yes. Interesting. Where is loyalty these days? Well, I don't know. Congratulations, uh, you did your job. I believe they call that a flex. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Congratulations, you did your job. Come to happy hour now, right? Like, it back wasn't. In old I days, didn't pick the time. Back in old days, you just be a, a, a handshake and said, "Good job, keep up the good work." I didn't well, pick the time. A trophy. Yeah. I just got an email that said, "Hey, we're doing this at five. See you there." And I was like, "Oh, cool. uh, all right, cool." Well, here's the deal. At least we get a happy hour party thrown for us if we ever become number one. I guess that's what oh, we have to Oh, and you know that's towards. when you're getting your tattoo. And well, like, while so the happy hour is going yeah. on. Don't, don't mix alcohol with getting a tattoo, though, because it thins your blood. Oh, that's yeah. not good, Brent. Okay. So we'll Thanks drink while you get you're the welcome. tattoo, and then... <laughs> yeah, so we'll we'll party, and then when you're done, you can party as well. Tattoo and happy hour, if we become number one at some point, uh, I'm not sure which one I'm more excited about. Man. For, for, for me, the tattoo, because I, I, I can't probably wait have to a little it. time to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> With Coos at the helm, you better believe it. Coos, uh, uh, unbelievable. Scott's going to sit in for the other half well, of the show. And is that really a bad thing? It's no, like, at all. You know, it's, like, about it. it's like bringing in, a, I don't know, some college pitcher and all of a sudden, oh, what's this? We have Randy Johnson in his prime in the bullpen? Yeah, let's go ahead and bring in the Randy Johnson in his prime from the bullpen and close out the show. Uh, very well said. How about balling and falling? Speaking of Scott and yep. Coos, well, I know which one's doing each. <laughs> Scott mentioned it quick. The flex. Uh, flex of the day going out to Damon Jones after he releases some nuclear heat on Richard Jefferson as he shares a story about finding out he was traded from the nuts to the Bucks. A minute later, my phone rings and it's Rod Thorne saying, hey, it was draft day. We just traded you to Milwaukee. That's how I found out after seven years of service with the Nets. And Greeny, guess what? The Nets got better. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I wish you could have seen Richard Jefferson's face because I thought he was going to cry. And by the way, that dude doesn't age. But that was the flex of the day going off to Damon Jones. Balling. I have have more audio here, Brent, because this is an audio kind of day, I guess. I'm I'm lazy. Um, Alex Rodriguez is out here living his best life, Brent. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Have you ever heard the phrase, if you believe it, you can achieve it? I have. Check out this interview from Alex Rodriguez in one of his first years with the Seattle Mariners. What would a dream date with Alex Rodriguez be? Jennifer Lopez. (laughs) Hopefully you can find me a date with her. Is it kind of... (laughs) Yeah, is that it? So called it like his second year in the in the MLB. Jennifer Lopez, he wanted a date, and guess what? He got it. Um, shout out to him, man. Uh, listen, I had a dream that I would date Anna Kornikova when I was in high school. Didn't happen. Even when so much as to say, you know, like in the five year, where do you see yourself in five years? I yeah, yeah. the graduation photo. You know what mine said? Swear to God, it said, "I see myself in five years making six figures." Uh, I, I kind of shot small, and on the beach with Anna Kornikova. Half of that came right, but uh, Anna Kornikova never called, so what are you going to do? Ah, you're better off. Pro- am I? Though? I- yeah, I'm kidding. You, yeah, you have of course. To, you have to say that. Happy wife, wife, happy is, wife. <laughs> no, your wife is listening. I, couldn't, uh, I have a puppy. I have a great son. I have a beautiful wife, so yeah, we're all good. Hey, I'm going to do, uh, how about a ballin', I think, for the Tampa Bay Rays? Excuse me? Five dollars. Does that fit in the same sentence? Yeah. Five dollar <laughs> tickets for five home games. For the next five home games. 
They're trying to get people in the park, man. They're just giving Listen, tickets away. I don't, so I don't know if that's fa- they were falling, so they tried to respond with a little balling. Sure. I mean, you got to try. You well, know, the, yeah. Here's the deal: the Rays draw terribly, and it's an awful stadium. I don't care what you say, people. It's an awful stadium, and I've been there. I, yeah, it, it's bad, and they have to get a new one. They're trying to get a new one. They, they haven't got a new one yet. They don't know what they're doing with it, but. The Rays had like 6,000 people. It was like 5,900 people last week at a game or two weeks ago at a game. They are good. Mm -hmm. They are overachieving the last couple of seasons. Come out of nowhere. Nobody expected much out of them. Kevin Cash has done a fantastic job. They have good young players. And nobody cares in Tampa. And that's a shame because I think if you're – it's one thing if you stink, right? The Marlins got rid of everybody – the Marlins have not been great, although they've been playing a lot better the last month. Like, So I get the low attendance. It's still kind of like a punchline and a joke, So, but I get the low attendance. Tampa Bay, the last two years, like I am super impressed with. I, I think they're one of the most impressive teams in baseball the last couple of seasons, and you're still not going out there. So that is a huge problem, but they're trying, and, and what... I don't think they just have to worry about this, but I think everybody does. I think there's a degree even here in Jacksonville, um, but not just in the Florida teams. I think mo- a lot of teams down professional sports have to take a minor league approach, a minor league baseball approach to the the game experience and getting mm-hmm. people in the seats. There is so much to do now, well, and, the, and the tickets can be expensive depending on where you're going. So... I like this approach by Tampa to say, hey, you know what? We're taking a minor league approach. It's five bucks to probably go to a shrimp game. It's five bucks to go to the Rays game. Yeah. And like I always say, you can now get into a Rays game and watch Major League Baseball players for less than I can go watch my kid play ball this weekend. Yeah, and it sucks um, to be a, a player in that kind of atmosphere because look at how well the city of Tampa Bay has embraced the Lightning. You know, I mean, they, yeah, they, and they're they winning, of course. Games. Yeah, and they're winning. Well, like, I remember when the Rays had expensive. the best. But when the Rays had the best uh, record in the Major League Baseball a couple years ago, they're going to the playoffs. and They couldn't give away tickets. You know, and I get it. Like, it's not in the heart of Tampa Bay. It's in St. Petersburg, yeah. and I understand That's that. That's a and big the, problem. And the, and the stadium is left a little bit left to be lacking. I mean, I've been there myself, seen a couple games, and yeah, didn't really do it for me. But. Man, imagine like being a free agent in baseball. Like, would you ever like would you ever dream about going to Tampa Bay to play for the Rays? Why would you? There's no way. I'd yeah. I'd literally go anywhere else because of the, the, the fans are just you know it's so sad I and it sucks when a team's doing good listen, and they don't get support. When a team's bad, I get it. All right, you can you, you uh, it's hard for me to defend the team. It's a little on the fans in Tampa now. Go watch a game, mm-hmm. especially if it's five bucks. Get in there and support the team. Watch a little baseball, even in a bad stadium. When we come back, we'll do a little falling. And I got a question. Tiger Woods or Serena Williams? Ooh, next, ESPN 690. Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jacks. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna Jarrett Levine Studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. All right, we got a Serena Williams or Tiger Woods question coming up. Thanks to one of the listeners of the show and also one of our viewers on CBS 47 and Fox 30. I thought it was good, so I'm stealing it, borrowing, if I may. But first, we have to finish up with a little fallen. And uh, 
what you got? For falling, do you consider weightlifting a sport? It can be, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. So I can talk about this. I think the actual, like, the answer to that question now is always, yeah. Well, and it doesn't really matter, right? Because it's not I, worth offending anybody. Because it's not like I talk about sports all the time for balling and falling and staggering anyways. But uh, falling, Arnold Schwarzenegger, dude, I defend you. You're my hero. I grew up watching you. Um, just check out this audio real quick. Hey, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. Listen carefully. Dig deep down and ask yourself, who do you want to be? The what but who, if you believe success will come to you. Work like hell, trust yourself, and all your dreams come true. Break some rules, not the law. Don't be afraid to fail. Okay, I'm serious. Just stop it. I kind of like it. Keep it going. Just stop. This is falling? This guy's incredible. Stop. My name is Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Where did you find you that? You were Ben Richards in Running Man. You were Dutch when you took out the Predator. You were John Matrix in Commando. You were the Terminator. And now you're trying to be a rapper. Um, Listen, when you got drop kicked in South Africa... I was ready to tell the family right now. I was going to get ready to call him up and say, I got to go to South Africa. I got to go help out Arnold. Some kid drop kicked him. I got his back. But after hearing you rap, sir, and I don't know what this is for. I'm not sure if it's a promotional thing. Brent, don't encourage this kind of behavior. Um, I can't support what he's doing, and it breaks my heart, Brent. And it's like you're seeing one of your heroes just die right before your eyes. For shame, Austin, the governor has spoken. <laughs> yeah, come on, dude. Hey, you know what? The happy hour horn. That's who we're going with today, Arnold. Stop. Let's go ahead and stop that, though, huh? All right. So where what, what was this a part of? I don't know. Like, how <laughs> did you find it? This guy's got drop kicked and, yeah. and now go on to be on American Idol in the yeah. last two weeks. I literally Welcome went back, on, Arnold. I literally went on Twitter today and uh, somebody retweeted Arnold rapping. I'm like, oh, no. And like an idiot, I clicked on it. And... Uh, that's what, it, that's what it follows, so I'm not sure the context. I don't want to know the context. I continue to say Twitter makes me laugh about out loud three times a day. I think that's... Yeah. Today they had a... If Go find, like, the... Do you see the little kid having the conversation with the guy on the couch? I don't think so. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And the block over charge with Rex Chapman's always tremendous. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's usually good, really yeah. good. So uh, I've already laughed a couple times, and there's still plenty of... Uh, Time left in the day for me to check Twitter. <laughs> All right, here's my fallen. I don't like this move. I, I think we get carried away with rule changes too much. This, I'm not like hell bent on it, but I don't love it. And I said this a few weeks ago when it was proposed. Well, now it's a done deal. NCAA is moving the three point line back for next season. So they are going to go to the international line of 22 feet, one and three quarter inches. Uh, that will be the, uh, the new one. And this is the second time in like a decade that it's been moved. Uh, it was 19 feet, 9 inches. In 2008, 2009, went back a foot to 20 feet, 9. And now here we are at uh, 22 feet, 1 and 3 quarters. Pretty significant, really, more than yeah. a foot back mm -hmm. uh, and, and more the international line. I don't mind the fact that it's at least uh, in line with the international uh, way they do it. But... The idea here is they are trying to get people to take less three-pointers, and they think this would open up the lane and encourage driving to the basket a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Doubt it. That's silly. That's not happening. No, people would rather take 
a 24-foot shot than a 4-foot shot in the NBA. Yeah. Now, nobody in their right mind, if you ask them, to if you were going to win a $100,000, would you take a 4-foot shot or a 24-foot shot? Everybody would say 4. Not people in college basketball or not basketball players. They want to take the three-point basket. And now, why, why do you think that is? Why do, you, why do they want to take away the three-point shot? Honestly. Because I think they want to make sure there's movement. It's it's almost like the deal in baseball right now where it's either home runs. or It's not strictly home runs or strike yeah. strikeouts, but it's being characterized that way. And there's an element of it at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they want more action in the game. Like if, if they want I have more a great action. idea. You want more action? And Kuz, back me up here. You want more action in college basketball? Make a dunk worth three points. There's your action. What do you think about that? I, don't, I hate it. Oh, but we're going to move the three-point line back and think that's going to make a difference in action? Well, the, what they want is more action between, like, the lanes and more driving and more passing and more basketball but instead it's not of just happen. shooting. But you know it's not going to happen. Yeah, I don't think it will. That's yeah. why it's my fault. Yeah. I, I don't think this is the answer to that. And I really just, between analytics, mm-hmm. between style of play, that goes all the way back to when Rick Patino said, hey, three is more than two, so let's take it. Uh, listen, they do a brilliant job of that here at UNF. I mean, that's three is more than two. And if you it can is. run an efficient offense, and they've done it here at UNF, and they've done it in other parts of the country, uh, the analytics now say it. You know, it's yeah. it's worth shooting whatever. I don't know what it, the number is, 38% from three or then 45% from two. There's all that data. And not to mention, if I go right now, if there's a basketball court right in this parking lot. Yep. And you roll a ball out. Mm-hmm. The first thing I'm doing is what? Going to drive the lane. No. You're going to shoot? I'm shooting a three. Against me? In fact, Good luck. No, I'm just saying just shooting who? If we're just yeah. going out there yeah. and we're just shooting shoot three. The first thing oh, I'm, I'm doing, I'm not, yeah. I'm not hitting, I'm not going to layup. Okay. I'm not taking a free throw. No, he's I'm a bucket. Sure, okay. I'm not taking a 12 footer. Yeah. I am dropping behind that three point line, and I don't care if the line is 40 feet away or 18 feet away, and I'm launching a three. I find and it, that's just our nature. Now it's like customary for us. I find it very peculiar that when I suggest a dunk should be worth three points, that the two guys that can have never dunked in their entire life are against that rule. Why do you find it peculiar? Why would I be? Because I, you guys are a bunch of haters. Because you guys can't dunk. So you don't I can't dunk. And I can't shoot threes. So we got something <laughs> in common, man. So I, everyone's not happy. But I'm just saying. You want to make the game more exciting? Three-point dunks. There you go. I don't like it. I I don't like this. I don't like oh, changing I'm just kidding. the game. I don't, I don't like it either. But if you want to make the game more exciting and you're concerned about the three-point line, I think the next logical thing, if you're so concerned about people driving the lane, is make a dunk worth three points. I do feel like we have uh, three-pointers and dunks. I mean, isn't it kind of what we have? What do you mean? Like, it's, There's nothing in between. It's a, it's a oh. three-pointer or a dunk in basketball. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Tim Duncan retired a long time ago, so I guess that is, uh, well, that is speci- kind of a fact. Especially. Especially in the um, in college basketball. See, what I think gets overlooked in the NBA, and I say this a lot, watch tonight's game in the NBA and watch how many shots go in from 10 feet away, 12 feet away yeah. that they make look like layups. 
they don't get enough credit. No, for sure. They, they are so good at the 8 to 10 to 12 footer, where if you take the college guy, they'll shoot like 40% from there. Yeah. In the NBA, they shoot like 75% well, from that range. And they, we take it for granted because it looks like an easy shot. That is not an easy shot, but it's automatic for those guys. I'll tell you what's the most impressive thing is like the, the teardrop layup. You know, like every once in a while, yeah. Steph Curry will yeah. do that. To me, man, that's like the hardest. Because I've tried that. Well, we that's just don't, hard. Yeah, we don't, appre- we don't appreciate we don't, that about pro sports yeah. because we see it so much. Mm-hmm. We don't appreciate how good of a hitter is in Major League Baseball to hit 320 mm-hmm. even. We don't appreciate how good of a receiver is in the NFL to be able to catch some of the balls they catch. Instead, we kill them for the ones they drop. Of course. And we also don't appreciate, I think, in, in basketball, some of these mid-range shots that aren't sexy. But, man, it's a it's a it's it's the amount of practice that has gone into that to make that so routine for them is incredible. Uh, I think we have Andy on the line right now. Let's talk a little hoops and maybe uh, the uh, college basketball line moving back, uh, which the NCAA approved today. What's up, Andy? Yeah, so listen, as a, as a casual at-best NBA fan, I, I feel like what would make me watch the game longer would be if the game got a little more tough. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I feel like when I was a little younger and would watch the game, uh, they, they would drive a lot harder down to the lane. There were, it seemed like there were less fouls. And now when I watch the game, it's just like, I don't want to see pass-pass shoot. I want to see people go in, throw some elbows, and not like violent or over-the-top, but just, you know, really get in there and, and play a physical game. You know, I just I feel like the game's not as physical, and it makes me not care to watch it as much as I used to. Yeah, no easy Andy, appreciate the call. I think, uh, well, listen, do you miss the Celtics-Lakers yeah. of, of all, like, what, almost – borderline melees on the court. Uh, the Pistons played that way. The Knicks obviously played that way when back when they used to make the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I, I get it. I think the game is still physical to a degree, but I don't think you see the hard follow anymore. I think there's too much respect, so much money on the line, too, mm-hmm. that you don't want to be that guy that hurts the other guy. You know, that's, yeah. that's what's a little different. You know, yeah. when Bird and, and Magic and those guys were playing, that was a good amount of money on the line. Uh, it wasn't won $200 million on the line. No, you're right. But we've, we've made the point before, too, like where we don't want to see umps go away because we enjoy when there is some kind of adversity, when there is teams going back and forth, umps getting yelled at, and there's a little physicality towards it. And basketball, I think, is the same way, you know, where I think in a game where that has taken over by the three-point shot, it's been taken over by finesse as opposed to more power. Um, look, look no further than the, the, the big man. You know, back in the day, the traditional big man, like a shack, um, it was all about staying in the lane, throwing the elbows, yeah, and then throwing down dunks. Now we see you guys like Anthony Davis, even Boogie Cousins shooting threes. I mean, that's just the way of the world now. And I think that there is a lot more finesse than there is physicality. And I think you do lose some viewership. Now, when the playoffs start, yeah, maybe it's a different story. But I'm talking back in the, in the, in the mid nineties when if you drove the lane, you better bring your big boy hat and your lunch pail because you're going to get followed and it's probably going to cause a fight. Like people enjoyed that. You know, yeah. people enjoyed to see, oh, Oh, it's about to go down right now. I mean, people love that banter, and unless it's the playoff times, especially in the championships, you have Drake on the sidelines causing some, you know, uh, commotion. You don't see that a lot anymore. Yeah, you had the tension grew because of that. Of course, right? I mean, you could feel it. It jumped off the TV. I can only imagine what it was like in the arenas. Yeah, but there is a more finesse brand of basketball. There's no doubt about it. Because, well, to go full circle on this conversation, yeah, probably the three pointer. 
Yeah. You know, and you said it, big men even now shooting a lot of threes. Uh, one last rule change uh, that was approved. Conducting instant replay review for goaltending or basket interference calls in the final two minutes of the second half in overtime. Remember in the NCAA tournament? There was the one that didn't get reviewed on the end. Uh, yes. What game was that? I can't even remember. But it should have been goaltending. Yep. And they couldn't review it. Yep. Well, that was an easy one to pass by the NCAA. They now can review it. Uh, shoot, if you're going to have replay, you better be able to review that. Amen to that. I would think. Yep. Uh, and I'm not even a big fan of the replay stuff. But uh, that gets approved as well as the three-point line moves back. When we come back, we go out to Denver. Talk a little Broncos. Week four of the NFL season for the Jaguars. Our buddy Ryan O'Halloran joins us from Talk some wrestling with him, too, maybe. Oh, boy, this one could go crazy. Yeah. It's next on ESPN 690. Hi, I'm Ryan Murphy, Olympic gold medalist. You're watching Action Sports Jacks. Watch the effort and energy. Breaks a tackle right there. Spins out of the grasp of Telvin Smith. It's been a little bit since the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars and the Denver Broncos met on the football field, but that will happen in Denver. Coming up in week number four of the 2019 season. Uh, this season, of course, Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, here on a Wednesday edition of Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Thanks to our friends from Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, just a little food drop. We got shakes, we have burgers, we have pizza, it's we have a, onion rings. It's a smorgasbord of yum-yums in there, and yeah. I'm pretty bummed because I have to go to a grappling, and um, I can't eat any no, of it right now. There's plenty of people to eat, but, but not worried is, about you. But there is a to-go thing. Don't act like I'm not going to take half that to-go. Um it's good stuff. Yeah, I can't wait. A couple wait. locations, by the way, uh, for Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. We appreciate it. Uh, Howdy is the man. Thanks for uh, dropping that off. Uh, Brent Morton, Austin Lane, and we are joined by, uh, well, a guy you know well here in Jacksonville. Used to be the beat writer for the Jacksonville Jaguars from the Florida Times Union. Now doing the same for the Denver Broncos out there in Colorado for the Denver Post. Hello, Ryan O'Halloran. No wrestling talk today. Well, uh, it's going to be a short interview. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm going to hang up right now. You bet, and I'll talk to you later. <laughs> hey, what's happening, man? Well, um, I just came inside. These guys are doing their uh, mini camp this week. Um, second session today. They'll wrap it up tomorrow because they want to get done a week early because they're playing in the Hall of Fame game, which means they report July 17th. God help us all. Oh, my goodness. That is early. At least you do get wrapped up a week earlier um, from that standpoint. Uh, what's the vibe around the Broncos? I know you had the whole ownership thing happening. Where is that? But but then on the field, with all the changes, uh, what do people think about this football team? Well, I think over the last three to four months, most of the focus has been on the on-field product. And, you know, Vic Fangio has come in, new staff, new quarterback, you know, some changes on the defense and, and really it's it's they're not gonna call it a rebuild, but this team needed to be teared down a little bit. So they sort of did half half of that. They cut a lot of guys, they fired a lot of coaches, but they also signed some veterans, spent a lot of money in free agency. So they feel like this can be a uh, a quick transition back into contention. Hey, what's up, Brian? Uh, so when Flacco comes in and says that the job is that his job is to win football games and not help out Drew Locke, um, you know I couldn't help but agreeing with Flacco, especially being the first year quarterback of the Broncos as well. But how has I guess the rapport been between you know the the vet of Flacco uh, against the rookie being Drew Locke here at OTAs? 
Well, it's interesting, Austin, is first on Drew Locke, he's running with the threes. Kevin Hogan's running with the twos during the practices have been open to the media. So they're trying to make Drew earn that spot, which I think they'll make, they'll make sure he's the number two going into the season. As far as Flacco, I applauded him for making those comments. He's basically saying, hey, I have no guaranteed money left. I'm 34 years old. I'm seven years removed from my Super Bowl. I need to worry about myself so I can extend my career as a starter. And he made a good point is if you're Julak, the guys you're going to lean on as your coordinator and your quarterback coach, they're going to be the ones that lead you during the week when the season starts. And the best way for Drew to learn from Joe is by watching how he operates. And I think, um, you know, certain aggregators, Yahoo Sports and others maybe took that out of context and blew it out of proportion. He is here to serve as a guide, but he's also here to win games on Sundays. That's his primary focus. And, you know, we talked to Locke last week. He said that, you know, anytime he does have a question about this offense or how to approach a certain practice, he said Flacco has been great to answer those questions. So I think it's a good relationship. If you look at what the Broncos have had at the quarterback position, and it's always talked about, take Manning out of the equation for those four years or so and go all the way back to Elway. And here are some of the names. Greasy, Plummer, who actually did have a nice year in there. Cutler, who obviously was a talent but didn't win a lot of football games. Orton. Tebow, Simeon, and Keenum. Uh, it's not a who's who going to the Hall of Fame despite the success of Peyton Manning and the great success of John Elway. So is Joe Flacco welcomed with open arms because of some of the resume? Do people feel like he has stuff left in the tank? Because I think you know the vibe around here. Nick Foles is making a great first impression with everybody in Jacksonville, and it's been very similar, of course, at the QB situation, except we don't really have a Manning or an Elway to lean on either. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Broncos, you mentioned those names. They have not done well choosing quarterbacks when it was their choice. Peyton Manning chose them. I mean, he was not going to play for an NFC team. And he, uh, he visited Tennessee and Denver before signing with the Broncos because he felt it was the right fit. That obviously paid off. From there, it's been chaos. Paxton Lynch was a first-round pick, total bust, cut after his cut, uh, you know, training camp of his third year. I supported the Flacco acquisition because I was in the anybody but Keenum camp. Uh, I did not think he was going to be a quality player moving forward. They're fortunate to get a swap, a draft pick for him. And you just the vibe you hear from other players here is, hey, this guy comes in with a resume, and you're going to trust him. He's indoctrinated himself well in the locker room. And give you one example, running back Devontae Booker last week said, when I asked him, how, you know, how's Flacco, what, what kind of presence he has, he says, well, a couple of other quarterbacks here in the last couple years wouldn't even say hello to you in the hallway. <laughs> I mean, that goes a long way. I mean, so I think he's done a nice job, you know, blending in with the other players. And as he said yesterday, he goes, he's throwing the receivers that are 10 years younger than him. Mm-hmm. So there has to be some chemistry created there. I think he's done a good job at that. Vic Fangio comes in as the head coach, a guy I spent a little time playing for in Chicago. Um, have you noticed really a change in the culture and how things are being ran at the helm? And more importantly, since he is kind of a defensive-minded coach, you're looking at a Broncos defense where it's always been their calling card is playing good defense. Now, last year uh, probably had a little bit of an off season, but you can kind of correlate that to their, you know, their offensive performance as well last year. So how has the defense also embraced Fangio and his new scheme coming out now? Yeah, they're all in on Vic Austin, and as you know, this guy is a renowned play caller. He's going to call, he's, he's going to still call the plays here in Denver, even though he's the head coach. 
And what, what, what players say about him in this scheme is, is it's simple to learn, but it confuses offenses. And that's a pretty good balance to find. And one thing about this defense last year, you knew they were going to play diamond sub-package, you knew they are going to rush four on third down, and Von Miller and Bradley Chubb were going to rush from the edges. That's it. There wasn't a lot of deviation from that formula. Not well, easy to figure out. So with Fangio coming in, you see Vaughn doing different things. You see Chubb doing different things. And you see, you know, slot corners blitzing, safeties blitzing. So, you know, when Vic does send pressure, which I don't think is going to be a lot, it may be different guys. So it's overall on Fangio, though, is this they needed, you know, for lack of a term, they needed a hard ass. They needed a guy who can be a, make these guys accountable, who isn't here giving orange slices and juice boxes like Vance Joseph. And I think Vic has cashed on the fact he's worked a long time for this shot. He's going to do it his way. Rhino Halloran uh, from the Denver Post with us uh, here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Of course, former beat writer for the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Florida Times Union. Where does Denver fit in that division? Because obviously all eyes are on Kansas City. The L.A. Chargers are right there as well. I mean, you could pick either one and, and be happy with it, I think, to win the division. And then there's the unknown of the Oakland Raiders. And I would say at this point, I'm not sure if uh, unknown or unproven is the right word for the Denver Broncos. How do they see themselves in that division? Well, the way you know they see themselves as contenders, obviously. But... They need the Chargers to come back to the pack a little bit. They need the Chiefs to come back to the pack a little bit. You know, they went one and three against those two teams last year. Kansas City, I think, has got issues. They got so many new guys on defense. They're switching from a three-four to a four-three. Are they going to be able to still? I mean, they they weren't able to stop anybody last year. Will they be able to do it this year? That's the fascinating part. But their matchup with the Jaguars in Week One. As for the Chargers, is okay. Does Melvin Gordon stay healthy? Does Joey Bosa stay healthy? So. You know, I think the Broncos look at this as they're six and ten last year. Can they make a jump of three wins, and can one of these teams come back to the pack? Ryan, from what you gauge, um, is it still kind of the same as last year, uh, where the, more than likely the the Broncos are going to be a, a run first, pass second team? And can you kind of touch on Cortland Sutton a little bit, a guy last year who was really relied on more than any rookie should have ever have to be relied on at the wide receiver position. Is there a lot of optimism from him in that receiving core now with uh, Sanders coming back from the injury as well? Yeah, there is, and you're right about Sutton. He started last season as a number three, but then they traded Demarius Thomas. And then Emmanuel Sanders popped his Achilles in practice first week of December. All of a sudden, now he's a one. All of a sudden, Deshaun Hamilton goes from a four to a two. It showed on the field. They struggle against some of the top corners, which is understandable for non-first-round rookies. Sanders is the key. Still has, he has not practiced yet, coming back from that Achilles. I think he'll start camp on the pup list. But if he's ready to go in week one, that allows them to maybe move Cortland Sutton around take advantage of some matchups, and also what it really opens up things for is tight end Noah Fant, who, hey, he's here to catch passes. They can talk about his blocking all they want. You draft a guy in the first round to catch touchdowns in the red zone. That's what he's been doing during these practices. So, you know, the receiver group is very young, but if they can get Emmanuel back to be that deep threat, you can see Sutton having a bigger impact. The Jaguars are an inter- interesting fit in the schedule week number four, September 29th, against the Broncos because you, you go on the road against Oakland, at home against Chicago, on the road against Green Bay, then the Jaguars. But look at what's next at Los Angeles, at the Chargers. It's an interesting stretch, and I think it's beneficial for the Jaguars to play in September rather than a potential December game. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and, and go the old trap game route. 
but it's probably not going to be one they're going to circle on the calendar for the Broncos with the Jags coming to town. Well, it's going to it's going to be the, it's going to be the game, guys. Where that whole week, everybody in Jacksonville is picking the Jaguars. Everybody in Denver is picking the Broncos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because it's like you get okay. If if your season is going to go the way you want it to, you have to win this game for both teams. Good point. The Jaguars got to win a road game or two. Uh, the Broncos have to hold serve at home. But you mentioned that Broncos schedule. They play the last game of Week One. Then they play the Bears, who played the first game on that Thursday. So they have a long week. The Jaguars, I believe, play Week Three on Thursday. Yes. So, so they have another. They face another team off a long week. So, it'll be you know that's a challenge for the Broncos. But, um, but I think it is an important game. Speaking from the Broncos' standpoint, is you you have that game before you play the Chiefs at all, before you play the Chargers at all, and you want to be able to at least build yourself a cushion for when those tough parts of those schedule come up. Ryan O'Halloran, uh, formerly of the Florida Times Union, uh, covering the Jaguars uh, with us. So it's a familiar voice if you're listening to right now on ESPN 690. Now with the Denver Post covering the Broncos, doing a fantastic job. Uh, I know you're loving life out there, right? Things are good? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it, uh, it's a different team to cover. It, it reminds me a lot of Washington in terms of the contingent of people covering the team. So, uh and a lot more, clo- you know, the ranks are closed a lot more in terms of practice. You're not standing between players that during an OTA like you were during Gus's time, but uh, but we're making do. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I, I I know you pay attention to what's going on in Jacksonville still, and really all around the NFL. You've done a good job of that. But give us your your uh, mile high and 2,500 miles away take on what's going on in Jacksonville, uh, even though you're not up close and personal with them anymore. Well. They had to do. They did what they had to do at quarterback. Okay, Nick Foles. He basically had a one-team market. I was surprised at the term and surprised at the dollars, but they felt that he had to get it done. Okay, great. Um, receiver. I would have some questions there. Tight end. I'd have some questions there. The offensive line. You know, can Cam Robinson come back? Can Linder ever stay healthy and make it through a season? I don't think so. But on defense, you know, I think they they still have the ability to stop some teams. Questions at safety with Harrison and Wilson, but um, it's I just feel like you just feel like for the Jaguars, so many things have to go right for them to even reach 500. Um, are they going to get something out of those draft picks the last two years to maybe see if they can contend for that AFC South? Because it's right there for them. I'm not a believer in Mariota. I'm not a believer in anything Houston does up front on the offensive line, and I think that Indianapolis should be considered the division favorite. So it it could be a wide open division, but. Uh, what, can, what would concern me if I'm working inside that building is you have guys who are skipping workouts and we can go back and forth with all voluntary. Well, now you have guys who are role players who are not showing up either. Why the hell hasn't D.D. Westbrook been there every single day? Yeah. You know, why were other guys missing? Because they're taking their cues from the veterans, from the stars. Jalen Ramsey's going to do his own thing. It's probably better off that he's not there. Um, but he's an all-pro. He's probably earned that right. I would be really disappointed in Gakwe showing up for one day and saying, hey, I'm here to play football. I'm here to work on my football. Well, last time we saw him, he was in Las Vegas at Von Miller's pass rushing camp. So I think, I think Doug Marone's got his hands full in terms of the, the dynamic of his roster and can, can his new, a, lot of new, a lot of his new assistants, can they get more improvement out of some of these young players than they felt last year's staff did? I think it's a pretty good take all around, uh, and I, I think the last thing you said, I, don't don't let that slip under your radar if you're listening right now to uh, Ryan O'Halloran in this discussion, and that is, I think Doug Marone does have his hands full with this locker room. I mean, there are a lot of personalities. There are egos in every locker room, but 
there are a lot of star potentials that think they're already perennial stars. Yeah. Uh, so that's the it, thing. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting locker room, and and so I we don't talk about that a ton, probably not as much as we we should have so far. But I think you raise an interesting point. Uh, he does uh, have his hands full with that no, locker room. I absolutely. It, oh, go ahead, Ron. And, and one thing we talked about, Brent, before I moved, was coming off that AFC Championship game. You know, it's the Pat Riley thing, the disease of me. Yeah. A lot of players in that locker room are going to say, where's my money? And, okay, maybe you do things out of character on the field to try and make extra plays. Well, what Doug should hope is that last year was a reality check for these guys saying, hey, go 5-11 and 11 again. Nobody's going to be getting extensions. Nobody's going to be signing for money anywhere else. So I think – if, if he can get those guys to realize, hey, it's a team game, that's how a lot of the times you get your money, then maybe they do have a shot. Yeah, well, awesome. What were you going to say about well, that? Well, I was going to say, too, and, and Ryan brought up a great point, you know, it's um, and you did as well. And I always compare it to, like, look at the Seattle Seahawks when, when they're in their heyday and, they're you know, they're winning Super Bowls and everything. I mean, they had probably the most egos um, with that secondary you had uh, – Michael Bennett as well. I mean, you had a lot of egos on that team. You had a lot of different kind of upbringings. And Pete Carroll, by no means, was a a, a hard ass. You know, he's more of a players coach. He's he's very casual. But the difference between the Seahawks and what the Jaguars have is the Seahawks. They had that veteran leadership where guys were held accountable. And you look at the veterans that the Jaguars have right now. Um, I just don't see a lot of guys on that team that can hold people accountable. Well, you know? I, I think you have to. Obviously, there's Calais Campbell and those guys. Yeah. And Nick Foles might be that guy now because he's a veteran. Well, That's what you've been be, missing. Brent. Yeah. But I do think more than that to, to this part of the conversation you have to hope guys grew up a little bit you yeah. have to hope guys grew up and looked in the mirror last year and said well that didn't work and now i got a chip on my shoulder and i am motivated to make money but i better play well first and like ryan just said uh play with a team first mentality hey you cover the nfl on a lot of different fronts so i want to ask you a couple quick things uh, you mentioned otas and i brought this up to austin earlier do you think OTAs or this voluntary stuff will be part of the CBA discussion? And would you like to see it either mandatory or just do away with it so we don't have to have these discussions? Well, from a media standpoint, I like it because it provides content. Yeah. Okay, so if they eliminate the entire offseason program, maybe I would actually take a vacation. But <laughs> for, for, the, for, for these players, and Austin you can speak to this, I'll show up got to sweeten the pot a little bit you have to you know maybe maybe you get more creative with your contracts in terms of workout bonuses ota bonuses something like that to give the players some incentive uh the broncos didn't have that problem this year the only thing they had was chris harris's contract dispute every other time you had 89 guys here so uh but that's not happening everywhere else including jacksonville so i think there is i think it's the off-season program serves a purpose because a lot of these players are creatures of habit and are going to be around the facility no matter what. But, I mean, do you, do, do you try and do extra things with the rookies? Do you maybe cut the off-season program down by a week and make, a, make maybe make another week mandatory? Um, I think that, I think that's it's, it's among the long list of things the union and the owners have to figure out. And, uh, Ryan, another topic. We've been on this topic a bunch already in our first five months of this show, uh, and it's going to be a big one. Uh, in the CBA is medical marijuana. Obviously, you are covering a football team in a state where that's legal. Um, what is the view in a place that it's okay and legal on the NFL policies? Is there more uh, focus on it or is there less focus on it? Less. You know, it's about the same. And 
it, does, it, it doesn't because it's legal here from a recreational purpose. You don't hear players saying, well, because we live here and we play in the NFL, we should be, you know, the exception to those rules. We should be able to take care of our bodies any, any way we want. I do agree that medical marijuana should play a part because it does help players get healthy and stay healthy, just like regular people on the street who have a health issue. They're taking uh, marijuana on a medical prescription. So uh, I think I think it goes back to, like it or not, the majority of the owners in this league are old and white, and they live in a society in their mind of, that's bad, that's addictive, you can't do that. And I think they have to realize that they're dealing with a different generation and maybe – uh, give a little ground on that because it does help. It does help the individuals. Yeah, and instead, uh, at least Austin's point has been, well, here's some pain pills instead. Like those can't be addictive. Well, uh, and, well, and that's the thing is, if you if you're getting hooked on Percocet or Toradol, that's impacting the rest of your you know that your kidneys, your other parts of your body. Whereas, you know, if you if you are responsible um, with the medical marijuana is okay, maybe you become a better, you know, maybe you can play longer and maybe you can just, you know, uh, avoid some of the pitfalls that come after you play. That's what I've been preaching. Yeah, he has. All right, um, I am going to uh, go to the bathroom now if you guys want to mention wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just just real quick, Ryan, I mean, did you watch the the Ollie wrestling pay-per-view and what did you think about it if you did watch it? I saw it later. Um, I didn't watch it live. I was very impressed. you know, and uh, uh, I'm a guy who bases a lot of it on who's announcing. Okay, Jim Ross is one of the great guys of all time mm-hmm. to do this. Okay, that brings you credibility. The crowd brought you credibility. You know, Jericho, the Rhodes. Okay, are they? Were, my question was, are they going to be able to get a young star? They got him in the former Dean Ambrose. Yeah. I thought that was a great hire. And now, now you're now you're hearing about. WWE guys who are just basically been sent home to set out their contracts and are ready to jump ship. So I think Tony's done a nice job with, with this venture, and it's going to be interesting to see how it rises up. Absolutely. And are you going to watch the WWE Superstar Showdown on Friday? <sighs> I'll watch it on recording because I cannot take these long pay-per-views. I mean, yeah. WrestleMania was a disgrace. And I'm in the mountain time zone, and the main event didn't start till like 10 o'clock. Exactly. That's the big fella's bedtime, guys. <laughs> I hear you. Well, big fella, we appreciate you joining us, man. Uh, always good to hear from you. Hopefully you'll do it uh, more and more, and especially when we get closer to that Denver game in September. I, I hope you get a chance to get some vacation time uh, in the summer. Well, we're going we're gonna to give it a shot in July, but I appreciate it, guys, anytime. All right, man. Ryan O'Halloran Thanks, Ryan. Uh, from the Denver Post uh, covering the Broncos and, of course, uh, formerly of the Florida Times Union and beat writer for a while here with uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. So always good to catch up uh, with Ryan O. Hey, when we come back, we've got a little stay in your lane. Sooner or later, we'll catch up with Maurice Jones-Drew in the next hour as well. So much more to come here on a Wednesday edition of Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Hi, I'm Chris Berman, and every time I come back, back, back to Jacksonville, I listen and watch Action Sports Jacks. What you got on the magic whiteboard? Get ready to deep dive for this one. Money doesn't change people. It only unlocks characters jailed in poverty. Change people. It only unlocks characters jailed in poverty. Oh yeah. Is there a lifeguard on duty? <laughs> did you did you seriously like Google that one? 
That didn't come. Yeah, I mean, I looked it up. I mean, the, 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 I, like, I didn't just spur of the moment think of that so one. So no. where did you like Google that? Like, yeah, where did it come? I, I have my sources. Yeah. I might have some friends that <laughs> once in a while text me something cool or something like that. I don't just kind of like Stat Boy supposedly in his basement all the time. It's cool, <laughs> it's, it's cool by the way. Um, you know, I, I have friends that provide You're busy. You're You're missing busy, out you know? on the party, Coos. Get out of here. Yeah. I know. Come on, yeah. Stat Boy. You guilted you, didn't we? No, no. I'm 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 gonna take my milkshake and leave. Yeah, milkshake yeah. from uh, Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. Uh, Speaking of, I got myself like a little lobster roll in front of me. Yeah, a lobster roll with bacon on it. You uh, you definitely took the first round pick of. Uh, oh, did you want some? Oh no, you're all good, man. We can I, split I, I it. As you saw, I was eating my whole meal. So, and I have some stuff to take home tonight as well. I'm in I'm fight excited. camp too, but today I'm yeah, cheating. That's all right, man. I mean, I, I'm a heavyweight, so I'm good. I'm not sure what your excuse is, but by all means, go ahead and eat what you want. I've been heavy. In my weight before, um, but uh, we're trying like heck. Hey, and by the way, did we turn off our cell phones now? We good? Yeah, this is okay. I I thought it was my computer because sometimes I'll hit the silent button on the computer. Uh, well, apparently it was my phone. Yeah, and so chauffeur Boz says. <laughs> Well, thank God he said something because I was too scared to say anything. He, so he, he tweets at it and said, put your phones on silent. Message pings leap coming yeah. over, keep coming over the air instead of a leap. And he's laughing about it. He said, there it goes again. I'm driving through the back roads of Alabama. You're making me pick up my phone to check my messages. If I get pulled over, yeah. ESPN 690 is paying the ticket. Cut yeah. into the, my pineapple pizza budget. <laughs> uh, and, of course, you called me out and said it was me. Well, so, it wasn't me, Brent. Now was it? It was me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, one other thing. I had a whiteboard moment. Oh. And it, and it go, well, I'm not going to put it on there. Okay. But it actually goes, <laughs> okay. we, got, we got some burgers from Jumpin' Jack's House of Food, right? Yeah, we did. rings and burgers and some pizza. And, and a lobster roll with bacon on it. And lobster, I mean, they got a little bit of everything. Say no more, fam. It's it's awesome. I mean, you get to be able to get uh, that smorgasbord of uh, <laughs> food. And they've got two locations, uh, one out by the beach now and one uh, – over in, in Mandarin, uh, so San Jose Boulevard and Atlantic Boulevard, the two locations. But I was thinking of this over the weekend because when I was with Ty down in Fort Myers, I went to a place and had a hamburger. And so I thought of a whiteboard moment. Okay. I When I eat a hamburger, I don't put it down. Like I, I take that first bite huh. and I take that last bite. In the same, and it never leaves my hands. Time out from the ball game, real quick, though. So you're saying you do the burger all at once? What, if, what about there's fries? You don't do a little burger, a little fry, no. a little burger? Really? No. Huh. I don't. And like, I did it, I went to, I don't know what other, I, I had more burgers this weekend, I feel like, than I did in the last three months. And so it got me thinking. Yeah. But I seriously don't, because I like to load them up, too. I don't. Oh. I don't just have a burger with ketchup on it. Oh yeah, let's or get some cheese. Jalapenos. I mean, let's get some tomatoes, I'll throw some mushrooms some lettuce, on there. I'll throw oh, yeah. some onions sometimes. Yeah, I'm with so you, man. I'll throw anything on there. So it might be a little sloppy. They don't you know, that. underrated on the burger is a little barbecue and mayo. Okay. Or, or maybe a little Thousand Island. I don't. I'll put yeah. almost anything on it. Now McDonald's, they have the popular fried egg. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. So. But my point is, it's so messy that mm-hmm. I'm not like, I don't like to put it down, clean oh, up man. my hands, have some fries, then pick it back up, clean them. I like to just get after that burger. Okay. And I didn't know if that was a common thing or sure not. Sure isn't, Brent. Sure isn't. I guarantee you pull the other three people in this room and they're going to say they switch up with burgers and fries, burgers and fries. They don't just do a burger and a fry. Scott, can you back me up here? 
I'm sorry, I missed the question. So, Scott, Scott, I was watching Scott there, and I couldn't tell if he was paying attention. He was either in a big-time zone or yeah. he wasn't listening at all. I, I'm said, doing important producer stuff. No, I, actually, I just think you're looking at that Jumpin' Jack's house of food. Yep. Uh, Scott, so real Like quick. I said, important producer <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Scott, if you're going to get a burger and fries, do you just eat the burger and not actually put the burger down, finish the whole thing, and then go fries? Or do you kind of go burger, put it down, and then fries, put them down, burger, back and forth? Oh, no, it's, it's once I start, it's done. I'm, yeah. I'm working my way through the program. Yeah. So once that burger's in your hands, it's not going to leave your hands. You're Pretty not gonna much, put it back it's down. doomed. Coos, can you back me up here? Coos is already starting happy hour. I don't know. I don't think he knows where he's at right now. Coos is on your side. Okay, You're weird. Yeah, sorry. So two on two. That sounds like a Twitter poll question. I'm going to I'm gonna put it out there. Okay, but, and, I'll, and I'll retweet it for like, you. I, I thought of it, but I'm always like that. Like, I never put it down. I just don't. Interesting. I don't. Because I've thought of it in the past before. I'm like, why? Well, I, I gotta take a breath here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, <laughs> but it's the one, yeah. and I'm not like a fast eater. I, I wouldn't characterize oh, myself I'm, as a I'm fast, fast eater. eater. Well, yeah. yeah, you do it in like a commercial yeah. break. Yeah. You had meatballs. That's the way I and, grew up, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, usually if you have a big family, that's, you better eat fast. So, oh, I have a small family, but <laughs> my grandpa was super strict. Like, you better eat it as fast as possible. But I so, wolfed out a burger in, in, in about three minutes. So, as a kid, and probably up until. I would probably say my college years, I had this bad habit of whatever I ate or whatever I drank, I couldn't finish it. I would leave like a little amount. Oh, yeah. And like, and I didn't notice it at first until someone pointed out at me. Like, I was like, I was OCD or something like that, but I, I could never finish a meal. Now I'm okay. Now I, uh, you know, I'm mastered that type of, uh, I guess, OCD. But for a long time, um, in my formative years and up until college, I could not finish anything for whatever reason. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. We are weird people. We are weird people, aren't we? Like, I, I am admittedly strange, dude. But I, fi- but I find, but I find out that there are a lot of strange people. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm into a lot of different things, but that's what makes the world go round, right? Yeah. But yeah. then there's other times where I feel like I'm extremely normal. Name one. <laughs> I put him on the spot. Can't do it. Don't put me on the spot like that. I like to drive fast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. That's normal, right? That is normal. Uh, all right. I got a question for you. And actually, courtesy of Michael Mann, who uh, listens to the show and, and watches us on TV, CBS 47 and Fox 30 as well. I thought it was a pretty good question. And he, he sent me this in email fashion uh, the other day. Who will win a major first mm. from here on out? Now, Tiger just got his. But Tiger Woods or Serena Williams, who would you put your money on? Now, there's majors coming up, right? we got Wimbledon, and well, we got the U.S. Open is, coming up. Is and, Serena back, though, yet or not? Yeah, she was, See, she's been back. Okay. Um, but she hasn't been playing. I think that was the question. because When she left, she dominated. Of course. But now she's opened the door, be obviously having the baby, and she's coming back, and she's probably a little rusty and trying to get back. And she's getting older now. Mm-hmm. Serena Williams is. So she's running into some of the same things that, well, all the great athletes run into. Yeah. Um, well, not all of them deliver a baby, but <laughs> um, half of them, would you probably but say. At this stage of her career, and she's 37 years old. Yeah. I mean, again, um, that's ancient for a tennis player. No, without a doubt. And, well, I shouldn't say it's ancient because, you know, you had guys like Connors and. Navratilova, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not sure. Steffi Graf didn't play that late, I don't think. But it's not yeah. ancient. It's not impossible to win. I uh, think, um, and, you know, it, it's funny because you'd think, well, you know, she is 37 years old, so in tennis years she is up there. Um, so one would think, well, maybe Tiger. But And with all the respect to Tiger Woods, I'm taking Serena here. Um, 
I think that she had a kid uh, is only going to help motivate her even more because you see that a lot in fighting. When fighters yeah. have kids, and I'm, I'm not trying to compare tennis to fighting uh, or boxing or MMA, but um, it tends to happen when people have kids, especially I think females, uh, it kind of adds a little more motivation, a little more um, extra oomph, if you will. Uh, so with that being said, I can't go against Serena, man. She's just way too dominant, and I don't think she's really lost anything. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't. I think I would probably go Serena too, really because of the field. I mean, True. the field in golf is so good. So I think it's harder to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. Hey, what do you think? Give us a buzz. Star Star Six Ninety. If you want to jump in on that part of the conversation, five o'clock hour on the way. We will give a one hundred dollar gift card away once again. Third straight day of doing that here on ESPN 690. We'll have Stay in Your Lane, and we will talk to Mojo. The rolling ball of butcher knives. Maurice (laughs) Jones-Drew joins us on the program in the 5 o'clock hour as we continue our series, the 25th season of the Jacksonville Jaguars. All on the way, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jacks. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna Jar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Hey, welcome back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690, 5 o'clock hour here on a Wednesday, middle of the week. And we're trying to get you through it. We see the other side now. Thursday, Friday, into the weekend. Action Sports Jack Stuart Weber will find himself from free food now. I will always find free food. Yeah. Especially when you text us and say it's up here. Yeah. Sipping on a little strawberry shake from Jumpin' Jack's House of Food right now. How's that? It's terrific. I, uh, mm, I bet it. I will never say no to a milkshake from anywhere. And this is tremendous. I hear you, Khalees. That Their milkshake brought the boy to the yard. My man, Scott in the house. I appreciate it. Hey, it's a good thing you're here. I don't know if Coos would have got it, but the way he looked at me, I was like, got nothing. Well, I was like the wasn't, emoji. Wasn't the most appropriate comment, but here hey, to help, brother. Here sometimes to help. that happens at ESPN 690. <laughs> hey, if it's lowbrow, I'm your man. My man. I love it. See what happens, Brent? You bring in the reliever. You bring in the Randy Johnson. You are right. And he is the big and, dude, and we're, we're off. Yeah, we're hitting, we're hitting and running. I love it. Love it, Scott. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, uh,. You know what else it is? It's 5 o'clock and it's happy hour award time. Vita de Louis. We got the song. Should I try Arnold then, since I kind of Do teased it. it? You did tease it. Oh, man. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, yeah. You grab a drink. Yeah, yeah. Get the shot. And I'll get to the top and tip your star tenders. Come on, do it. Do it now. Tip your star tenders. Do it. What are you waiting for? Come on, do it. That's all I got. I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. Listen carefully. Dig deep down and ask yourself, who do you want to be? Yeah, yeah. But who? If you believe success will come to you. That's good, Scott. We're good. 
You make me cry, man. You, you've been singing a lot on the show. Why don't you sing this one? I'm all with Arnold. Set, maybe you guys can do a duet. Uh, maybe we can do Old Town Road together. What do you know? Yeah. Really, really uh, start trending on Twitter and uh, on the gram, as you refer to it. Yeah, I'm not sure Vita DeLuis knew what they were getting themselves into. Well, a local to tequila right here in Jacksonville. Made in tequila, Mexico. Shipped directly to Jack's Beach. Make your own recipes with Vita DeLuis tequila. One of the smoothest tequilas you will ever taste. Locations, recipes, merchandise. Visit VitaDeLuis.com. Drink responsibly. Um, promise, Austin wasn't drinking. You know, I what's amazing? No. It's like, you looked like you were in the middle of a workout when you're trying to do Arnold impression. <laughs> like, vein, like, you like Arnold, you have, like, veins well, popping out of your head. Example Arnold there. Yeah, that oh, thing yeah. really ramped up. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I couldn't just hit the red line. I mean, I couldn't redline it right away. I had yeah. to ease up to it, obviously. Brent, be honest. Where does it rank between Arnold and Tim Kirchin? Dead on Arnold. both of them? No, Arnold's Dead on both way of them. better. You got it. Uh, Dead on both of them. Kirkshin is painful. Oh, it, it hurts me too. So that's what I'm you. saying. Is, yeah. yeah, I know it is for you, but it, it really voice, is for man. us. Uh, so I'd rather. I think the Arnold is dead on. We'll wait till Tim Kirkshin comes people, back for the All Star break. Well, more people can identify with with Arnold, of course. True that. Uh, no surprise there. Yep. Uh, Brent Martin, Austin Lane, Scott has jumped in the hot seat instead of Coos. Big time upgrade here on the show. Yep. Uh, and Action Sports, Jack Stewart Weber joins us as well, sipping on a strawberry milkshake from Jumpin' Jacks. House of Food. What's up, Weber? What's happening in TV land today? I haven't even popped down there yet. Yeah, just uh, been getting some work done for the weekend shows, editing my ride along with Kurt Busch. Yeah. A uh, nice longer look at that. It's going to be pretty cool. Uh, that's what I usually like to do on the Wednesday. I like to get the Saturday and sh- Sunday shows rolling since I'm off Thursday, Friday. Uh, so tomorrow. Your weekend is on the way. Yeah, and by the, the way, the early happy birthday yeah, to Stuart Weber tomorrow. Oh, man, happy, early happy birthday. Yes, I'm going to see so you tomorrow. No, we you got you, uh, oh, I can guarantee you you won't see We me. got okay. you a shake. Yeah, you got me a shake. Thank you. Uh, 34 tomorrow. A big 34. Good year. Right on. Good, good year for many. Cool. You right over there, Brent? Yeah, it's, we got a phone call. So, uh, <laughs> Arnold? That didn't startle me. It's not Arnold, but I think it uh, might be about our Serena and Tiger ah, uh, oh. question. The debate. And it might be the guy who actually proposed the question, first of all. Uh, Michael from St. Augustine joins us right now. What's up, man? Well, good afternoon. I, I figured at least after giving you the question, I should at least comment on it. Yeah, what like you, what's style? your take? And the interesting thing is I went through a progression over the weekend where I would have originally thought Serena. And then Serena gets knocked out in the third round of the French Open in straight sets, which was not good. Then I shifted to neither of them. (laughs) And then after that, Tiger shows up with seven birdies um, on, the I guess, the front nine Plus, I think seven birdies and 12 holes. Yeah, on Sunday, yeah. And ended with two bogeys, and suddenly you realize he's capable of doing this again. Yeah, I mean, he looked in form on the weekend, with with the exception of a couple of holes. He's going to have to get rid of that, and he said that, too, in the U.S. Open especially. You can't have those those moments or you can shoot yourself right out of the tournament. No, but if you can get seven birdies and two bogeys in a round, you can you can live with that. That's an interesting take. See, what I think it is, it's not even about those those players. Now, we just had someone on Twitter say, uh, definitely Tiger because Serena, they think, is done. Uh, can't come back to the form she was in. And I don't even look at the two athletes we're talking about. I think they're great and unbelievable. But I think it's more the fields. And I don't mm-hmm. know women's tennis like I know men's golf, quite honestly. 
But I know that the field of women's tennis is not close to what the competition in men's golf right now is to win a major championship. Yeah. Naomi Osaka was on a heck of a run until she lost in that same round to Serena Williams. She's currently the number one ranked player in the world is Osaka. So, uh, and, and you asked me as I walked in, you know, what's my take on it? I took Serena simply because the next major is Wimbledon. And Wimbledon favors those who have the strong serve, and that's always been her game. Um, much like, you know, Horses for Courses, that is certainly a great place for her to play. And you could say the same thing with Tiger at Pebble Beach. So uh, you could really go either way on that one. Well, Michael, we appreciate the question, man. I like it. I thought it was pretty good. I don't know if there's a wrong answer, but we'll find out soon enough. <laughs> and we might not find out in 2019 either. Uh, let me ask you that. Let's spin off that. If if you had to put money on whether either one would win a major this year, of course, Tiger won the Masters. I'm saying from here on out. Uh, would you say yes or no? Uh, it would not surprise me if Tiger wins at Pebble Beach. Yeah, fair enough. Like uh, like Weber just said, uh, it's a it's a great course for him. Yeah, and, and I'm not so sure that Serena can get anywhere back close to what she had before. And there are a number of women's players that can give her a run for her money. I like it. Michael from St. Augustine, appreciate the question, man. Thanks uh, for jumping in on the show. Thank you. All right, uh, Michael, checking in on that. Uh, all right, how about a little stay in your lane to get to right now, Austin? Stay in your lane, cruise control, going out to Joe Frazier. Um, he's got a book coming out pretty Don't soon. Don't mess with Joe. Don't me- and this, you're actually proving my point right now. So he's got a book coming out that's uh, set to hit newsstands soon. That basically tells some of the stories about Joe Frazier. And he's a guy, Brent, who I'm sure he, uh, you grew up with Joe Frazier a little bit, right? Or is that before your time? That's no. before your time. I'm way off. Wait, Sorry. What do you think? I'm like 60 Sorry, or something? Sometimes you'd be surprised. Uh, so Joe Frazier was a guy who was deemed kind of a bad dude, right? He's he, on the gram for Pete's sake. I, well, exactly my point. <laughs> Already proved yesterday I'm way cooler than you, even uh, though I'm 10 years older. Debatable. Uh, so back to Joe Frazier. He was deemed a bad dude. He, he had the brawling style. He had an intimidating demeanor. Um, it made a lot of people scared to even be in his presence. Well, and I'm not going to tell the whole book here, but there is an excerpt that I'll share, and I'm just going to summarize. I'm not going to read it word for word, but one day while in Philly, uh, Joe Frazier was leaving the gym with his two sons, Hector and Dublin, uh, and they're riding in a limo together when they saw a man in a wheelchair. Uh, the man was missing his legs and had um, a big thing of kerosene sitting on his lap, and he was struggling uh, to make it up the Ben Franklin Bridge. Joe proceeded to ask the men where, man where he was going, um, in which case the man gave him an address. He said, okay, you're going to hop in the limo. And the man asked, why would you be so nice to me? And he said, because it looks like you could use some help. All right, so let's fast forward now. So they get to the man's address. Um, Joe makes his two sons construct a ramp to get to the house of where the guy lived. Um, and upon getting the man up in the wheelchair with the kerosene, they go into the house, and Joe sees that he has a wife and a couple kids. And there's a kerosene furnace and so nothing else in the house. So what ended up happening was that the guy was getting kerosene to keep his family warm. Upon seeing that, Joe reached into his pocket and pulled out um, a wad of 100 they didn't say how much, but one can assume it was a, a substantial amount of money. And Joe gave it to the man and said, I think you need this more than I do. And once again, the man asked, why would you do this? And he said, because it looks like you use some help. Hmm. Um, and then Joe proceeded to go on his way. 
But um, I'm really curious to see. And um, you know what, Brent, I said I don't read a lot of books, but this might be a book uh, that I read because you know he uh, he was the Brown Bomber. You know he he was this guy that was so feared. But um, according to this, uh, the excerpts and according to some people that have read it so far, they're saying it's actually a really great story about how this guy who had such this mean demeanor was actually a big softy on the outside. So uh, I'm curious to see what other stories they have to share. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. And you wonder is that who he's always been or has he changed? Nah. I mean, th- th- this is back when he was boxing. This is back in his prime. Oh, that was set back yeah, there. Yeah, th- this is back in his prime. Okay, my yeah, my yeah, my yeah. Yep. But so. that's the thing, man. He's a champ. He's a champ in the ring. He's a champ out of the ring. And once upon a time, it used to mean something like that. That's How you point. carried yourself outside of the ring gave a lot of respect and credential to the title that you were carrying around. Th- that's an excellent point. And it seems like nowadays, you know, it's more about just the narrative of where you got to sell the fight. So you got to put on this big facade. Yeah. You have to be faking Good everything. Point. I mean, back then, I mean, listen, and like people want to say Ali did that, but I think that's who Ali really was. You know, like uh, Ali was the guy to talk smack, and he was born with the gift of gab because that's who the dude was. That's that's the environment that he grew up in. So. It, it's interesting. I know we had this discussion last week with Bill Buckner, how one thing can kind of shape a, a person's mindset on a pro athlete or somebody famous. And for me, like, I don't know very much about Frazier. The only thing that sticks in my head is down goes Frazier. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that's, that's the one thing that sticks yeah. in my head when I think about it. I don't know much about his other career other than obviously that one crushing loss. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that was kind of like the, the rumble in the jungle, right? It was him and Ali. Um, Ali came back and then ended up, you know, knocking him down. Uh, but to me, Joe Frazier is going to be remembered as the guy, and it's like I talked about in the beginning, where it was his style. You know, you had this flashy guy with, like, Ali. And they always say, Stuart, styles make the fights, right? Yep. And when you talk about Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, those are two contrast, con, you know, contrasting styles, two contrasting personalities that seem to mesh so well. And that's what boxing's all about. You know, it's not about the Don Kings and the promoters trying to get the most money and making this a big circus. It's about the styles and the personalities and guys just being themselves. And when you talk about Ali or Joe Frazier, you have two guys who I think stayed true, you know, to who they were, even until, uh, you know, Joe Frazier passed away in 2011, but I think they stayed true to who they were up until the time of death. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's, uh, well, it's pretty good. You know what else it speaks to? And this is something that I always have this great respect for because we're in a business where we try to tell the story right we try to get the story stories like that mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people in the sports world and, and fa- let's just say famous people right inspiring people that sometimes are looked at the way you're talking about joe frazier was looked mm-hmm. at and do these things under the radar yeah that well that going that not asking for attention exactly. but then you hear the stories years later exactly and, so, and listen twitter wasn't around back then all right facebook yeah. wasn't around back then like i don't think this guy did it for the you know to try to get the news headlines you no, know no, did that's it what because, i'm saying that's, you know, that's an excellent point though i mean i think sometimes in a society we get so wrapped up in you know we help those who are in need because it's going to get us more likes it's going to make people like us better as opposed to just doing it because it's the right thing to do yeah and well and and now there is an element of that right now since there is, is it or I mean, are you trying to is it called Click, like is it, it clickbait? And, and, and what, here's here's the thing. I don't. If you're doing something nice, I almost don't really care about your motivation. True. <laughs> you you're know? still doing something nice. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. something good is happening it, for somebody. It, it who feels needs it. it feels yeah. better if it's more genuine. It sure. feels better if you're not asking for that attention, and it kind of happens organically. Yeah. But at the same time. I'm not going to knock somebody for doing something nice. I don't really care what your motivation is. And that's the thing is that everybody has somebody that's being paid to get you that attention now. You know, you have publicists, you have PR people that are trying to point this stuff out more so than ever before. 
Good yeah. point. All right, uh, pump your brakes. Pump your brakes, Brent. Man, and this has been a hot topic. Yeah, really. it's a big one over the last, uh, well, 24 hours. Really. Well, I mean, kind of the whole thing, though. So I've been saying, you know, I think it's cool when baseball players show a little style, show a little swag. Then Odor comes out and pulls his pants up to his mid-thighs. I'm like, okay, well, that's a little too much style, a little too much swag. Bump it down a little bit. But I want you to listen to this announcer here for the Pittsburgh Pirates broadcast. Um, I want you to listen to his commentary on Ronald Acuna Jr. as he got hit by a pitch right here. Oh, I'm on the elbow. Yeah, I, I was getting ready to say, you know, with a young player just doing all that stuff and all the jewelry and all the stuff, uh, back in the day, uh, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Or that that was done on purpose. Hard to believe it was done on purpose. No, I'm not that. suggesting that. Budget. That's why I qualified it back in the day. Yeah. I hate the phrase back in the day. Back in the day, I had to walk to school. Back in the day, we didn't have cell phones. Back in the day, baseball players didn't wear jewelry. Hey, you remember back in the day when uh, Jumpin' Jacks brought out all that food? Yeah, exactly. Hey, very cool. You know what? When you say stuff like that, could you sound any older? Welcome to 2019, man. No, like, he is old. Just but. De- okay, but deal with it, though. Honestly. Like, you have to adapt to the time, sir. Like, I understand you're trying to set in your ways right now, but it ain't the time to do it. All right? Making fun of a guy who's wearing some jewelry and saying he got beamed because of that? Come on. Did, do you think the pitcher's on the mound and said, this guy's got one too many necklaces? Yep, here comes the high heat right to his elbow. I think not. Too many pieces of flair? Yeah. yeah. I, I think I, not, bro. No, I, I don't think so at all. And it is, it, it's a great crossroads of baseball um, right now is the old school. And, and by the way, there is nothing, for me, there's nothing better than old school baseball stories. I list, love listening to the older person tell me about how baseball was in the 50s and 60s or, heck, even the 70s and 80s. That's that's fine. Like, I enjoy that. But there is this crossroads. And listen, I'm in the middle of the crossroads. I'm in the middle of old and young. I'm cool, like, on the gram, yeah. but I'm old, like, on the show. That's that's 15 bucks and, going and to the Even though I wasn't there. around for Joe Frazier. Uh, it wasn't yeah. my heyday. <laughs> I could have swore you were. But really in baseball, I've said this many a times, I'm a traditionalist in baseball. I don't like replay. I, I like more of the traditional things. But I'm also not naive enough to know that things are changing and you have to continue to change the sport. And, and there are some things I like, some things I don't like, some things that don't really turn me away from the sport just because they're changing. I mean, I can accept replay. Uh, I don't know if I'll accept electronic strike zones. I think that's silly. I I like the human element. I even suggested, and I always go back to this now, as traditionalist as I am, if we want to solve some of the world's problems in baseball that we're trying to figure out by three relievers and by timed clocks and by all this other stuff, well, then why don't we just play a seven-inning game and we can move on with it a lot faster for today's day and age. And, yes, it would upset the record books, but you know what? Sooner or later, something's going to have to be upset. Uh, But I do think... I am not a traditionalist on this front. The bat, I get it now. It, it, I also get both sides that we're going to have this crossroads. If you go crazy, if you, if you do what Derek Dietrich did the last week where he is like staring it down, totally staring, mm-hmm. not only that, but it just looked bad. Yeah, Ellen. It looked bad. It mm-hmm. wasn't like, Hey man, that was awesome. Here's a bat flip and move on with it. It was like, I am making this me a showcase right here then I'm also fine with the guy plunking you. I don't want him to hit you in the head, but I also don't care if he hits you. That's fine. That's still old school baseball, and if you want to police it that way, I am perfectly fine with that. There's a lot of people that disagree with me, that think, no, you should not hit the guy because of that. Grow up. Move on. Blah, 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 blah. I don't, I don't, I'm okay with you hitting a guy like that. I do think 
the flair of these players is important for baseball. It's important. Let them play. Let, well, let, let them act young. Let them, let them be a kid's game. Let it, all that stuff happen. It's even like Major League Baseball is adopting those slogans. I forget the kind of promotion they've got going on with it. Is it let them play? Uh, something like that, uh, that they have a promo for all the young guys saying, hey, enjoy the bat flips. You know, uh, get fired up coming off the field. I don't think it has to do with wearing jewelry, but Acuna is one of the most electric players in the game. He's much like Javi Baez, I think, who is a, an electric player in the game. These guys are flashy. Back in the day, they probably would have felt a little chin music, probably would have got hit by a pitch for some of their antics, not what they're wearing, but some of the, the antics and the way they celebrate. And now I love it. I really love it. I think it's well, important for the game to show. It's no different than... Wasn't it stupid when the NFL stopped the celebrations? Absolutely. Well, now they've brought them back, and it's fun. Yeah. It makes it fun. And the NFL didn't need it. Baseball needs this stuff. So well, so old guy re- broadcaster has to move on. He has to get rid of this. He has to at least adopt the fact that this is better for the game and for the youth of the game. I absolutely agree. You know, I mean, I'm all for sharing the old stories. Like, Bob Euchre, to me, and maybe I'm a little biased, but I think he's one of the best uh, game callers to date. You know, and he has been for a long time. Well, and, you are biased, but, but I think but people you, you would agree, agree with him. Okay. And, you know, getting back to with Bob Euchre, I mean, he's a guy that's got tons of stories, whether it's playing ball or watching it. So, yeah, that, that is an intriguing aspect. But, you know, and the guy's name Steve Blass that went on this rant here about uh, his jewelry. I mean, if you're Steve Blass, dude, nobody wants to hear that. And and I don't care if it's the times have changed so much. You either have to adapt or die. I say it all the time. Like, I'm not going to come on this radio show and blast OTAs and blast two-a-days because they don't do them anymore. Like, that was literally six, seven years ago when we had real two-a-days. And they don't do them anymore. But I'm not going to come on here and talk smack about how, oh, back in my day when I played football, you know, we had real two days. We had real practices because nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody cares. I don't care. Nobody should care. And it's the same thing going with the, the Steve Blast right now. Nobody cares about how you don't like the jewelry. Guess what? It's part of the game. Get used to it I, or get out of the way. I do Simple dis- as that. I disagree with you on one technicality. Here. All right. I do think people, some people do care because I think there is a crossroads of like I'm in the middle of the crossroads, right? I'm a traditional baseball guy that says okay there are some of these things that are different but you've got to accept and adopt for the good of the game and i'm not sure i would have been mad at acuna the style of player Baez 20 years ago either but i do think there's a segment people mostly older than me that still like baseball you don't want to push those people completely away from the sport they're still buying tickets they're still supporting the game let me ask you this brent then brent a percentage of baseball fans, how many people if you thought watched that game with acuna and saw his jewelry how many people you think thought to themselves, man, that's too many necklaces right now. That guy deserves to be beamed. No, I, I, I honestly don't think many. I think this was an old guy moment. I yeah. do. I think it was an old broadcaster but, moment. And I'm saying so like, I don't, at I the crossroads. Okay, but I'm saying like, at the crosswords, there's like the, and I don't know where the line is, but I'm saying from the old school mentality to the new school mentality. I mean, right now, this guy's, this announcer's um, rant was an old school thought. So I'm saying part of that old school generation, that old school way of thinking, what percentage of the old school thinkers do you think were like, yeah, that guy's got way too many necklaces yeah, on? Yeah, I don't think so, but I will, I, that's why I'm broadening the topic to a degree. I don't think they cared about Acuna, but I do think they cared about Dietrich and this was yeah. Pittsburgh just yeah. watched Dietrich do this like three days in a row and those Pittsburgh announcers watched it and so I think it was in their mind a little bit and again I'm not defending this guy this is an old guy moment it was an old broadcaster moment in a bad moment yeah but 
I think it speaks more to the, the the bigger picture of it. It's not just about Acuna here. It's about old school mentality versus new school mentality. The game is changing, and I do think there are people in the middle of it. I don't agree with all of it. I do agree with some of it. And that's the tough part for these leagues is that you you want to keep as wide of an audience as you can possibly have, but at the same time, you don't want to alienate any portion of it. And, and you have to get that younger crowd because that's the one that's going to be with you forever, you know, in your eyes, if you hope that'll be what happens. You don't want to lose the young crowd, but then you don't want to lose the loyal people who've been watching you for all these years. Uh, that's, that's the challenge that all these, not even, it's not just baseball. I mean, you look at NASCAR, you look at all these different sports leagues other than the NFL who has everybody and, well, they dominate everything. Uh, but you have all these leagues that are that are trying to capture all these different audiences that are becoming more and more fragmented. Yeah, and it's and it's a difficult thing to do, and it's a difficult thing for people to adjust when they grew up with things a certain way uh, in sports, uh, really probably in a lot of things. Oh, but yeah. hey, guess what, people? Adjust. Times, adjust. they are a-changing. Yeah, and you got to come along with it. I, I agree with that. I just do think the technical side of it is there are some people that still don't agree with <laughs> what's, what's going on uh, in the game. It's... Uh, it's a wild conversation. I will say this. I love the flair and, and the, the fist pumps. And I don't even mind the bat flips. I really don't. I, I don't. I have a bigger problem Just with the against my team. I have a bigger problem with the style of the game. That's where I become old white guy. <laughs> All right? Yeah. I, I have a problem with the game and, and, and some of the things they're trying to do with it from a rule standpoint. I have no problem with the players. Mm. Players are fine. Uh, but uh, big story over the weekend and... I don't think that stuff's going away. I mean, this Ronald Acuna one is goofy. It's, but the Dietrich stuff. Go look at those home runs and the what he did after he hit it. That's a that still is an issue in baseball, uh, no doubt about it. And when we come back, here's a guy that could show a little flash, get fired up. Maurice Jones Drew joins us on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Right after this. Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jack. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna Jar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. More than 8,000 yards rushing, 68 touchdowns, 126 games in his career, 114 of them in Jacksonville, a dozen with uh, his hometown Oakland Raiders, now part of the NFL Network, still think part of the uh, Rams broadcasting crew, and uh, one of our favorites uh, here in Jacksonville, Brent Marnola with Austin Lane and Maurice Jones-Drew joins us. What's up, man? I'm doing well, Brent. How's the family? Family is fantastic. Still waiting for them to grow a little bit, but uh, outside of that, doing great. Right. <laughs> yeah, genetics are something tough. And Austin, what's going on, man? It's been a long time Whoa, no see. Long time no see, man. I'm doing fantastic. What about yourself? You know, working, 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 working. I hear you on that. All right. Who's the best uh, Maurice Jones-Drew kid in terms of athletic ability? Which one? Uh, it's, uh, it's my daughter right now. She is... Uh, <laughs> Backflipping, cartwheels, the whole nine. She can do it all. So, my two boys though, are very athletic, but sister right now takes the takes the crown as of as of a couple of days ago. So we'll see. Every day we're competing. All right. We're uh, by the way, consider this part of the background check on Austin Lane. I mean, we're only like five months into this thing. So uh, if you've got any dirt that we need to know about from the the playing days with Austin, uh, please let us know. We're all set. I think. Oh. 
Austin, I mean, he went into MMA because every day he got into a fight at practice. So he was like, it was time to, to go professional. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with him. He's, yeah. he's right. Yeah. He, he actually often Me and Evan bring, Britton. Yeah, him and Evan Britton went at it quite a bit, it sounded like. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think it might have been every third day. It was unreal. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Hey, how are you enjoying? Uh, we're going to talk about the football days, and thanks for joining us to be part of this twenty uh, fifth year celebration for the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. But how you you seem like you always had a plan that that you wanted to do what you're doing after football. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And and how is it going uh, being an analyst on NFL Network and being part of that that Rams broadcast team? Oh, yeah. No, it's funny. My agent used to always tell me, you know, uh, once you start the NFL, you're on the back uh, end of your career, which, you know, it sucks to hear, but it's true. And so uh, we put a plan together, and we continued to focus on that plan. When I was in Jacksonville, I had a radio show at 1010XL and Mike Dempsey. Um, we did the the, um, the Jaguars TV show for two years. I uh, did the broadcast boot camp. Ended up going to SiriusXM, having a, a radio deal while I was playing the whole time, and just kind of helped. You know, prepare me. You know, uh, for retirement or the life after football. And Austin can tell you, it's it's tough sometimes. You know, for guys that are you're used to have your day so structured and used to all the things that that come with being an NFL player, being there and then one day it's gone. And so, um, you know, it's something that definitely helped me being at the NFL Network. I'm around people talk football all the time. Uh, a game that I love, a thing that I love. I used to tell my wife all the time. I felt like I was cheating on football with her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean that's how that's how I cared about the game, and so being able to talk football and just you know learn different ins and outs, and then obviously being a part of the Rams broadcast, which is still being a part of the Rams team. We travel with the team, stay in the same hotel as the team, get to know the players. Uh, my first year, we had played against. I think I had played against like twenty five or thirty of the players on the roster, which was pretty cool, right? So we had a, a relationship there, and um, you know just kept me a part of the game, and that and that's what's important is you're always a part of. You know, you always want to be a part of a team in, in some way, shape, or form because that's what we're used to. When you, you know, I've been playing, I was playing football for 21 years before I retired. And so uh, always to be a part of a team is something that was important to me. That's what's crazy about you guys. I say this all the time. I mean, you're only, what, 34 years old? Yeah, you're aging me, man. No, but seriously, <laughs> 34 years old is young. I think, what, Stuart, you're over here. You turn 34 tomorrow? Yeah, 34th birthday I mean, tomorrow. Austin's 31. But when it comes to, like, football players, like I feel like you've been around forever, Mojo. You know what well, I mean? I mean, I retired at 29. Yeah, I, I retired at 29. So it was uh, it was eight great years in Jacksonville, then one in um, in Oakland, and well, it was it. And so at 29 years old, I had to figure out what, what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And you know, so many times, you know, <clears throat> we 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 were so focused on football, it's hard to kind of do other things, but. No, that, that's part of it, and I, I was just blessed and fortunate enough to have people around me to help me guide me in a, in a way where I can still, you know, be around something that I love, love to do. Um, I'm at NFL Network now on my off day, prepping for tomorrow's show, and, and a couple articles that I'm going to write, and, and those are, you know, just part of the life now. I, I enjoy it. I, I should have been, um, well, I, we, me and you were cool, but Vito. Delino, I should have probably got more advice from him uh, instead of being so mean to him. Right? Yeah, he can I give you way more advice than I can. Yeah, being cool with Brent got me this job. Yeah, the relationships are cool, man. They, 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 it's funny. They work out in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I, I brought this up uh, uh, earlier in the show when we were talking about you, and I think, and I want to get your thoughts on it, but I, I think you were 
the most national player this franchise has ever had. And what I mean by that, you kind of transcend Jacksonville. You go, you go to Seattle. You go to Green Bay. You talk to a Packers fan, a Patriots fan, a, an Arizona Cardinals fan. They knew who Maurice Jones-Drew was. And I'm not sure, even the good years of the early Jaguars, from Brunel to Jimmy Smith, Tony Baselli to Fred Taylor, I'm not sure that was always the case. In fact, I still think being in Jacksonville sometimes hurts like Baselli from a Hall of Fame standpoint. But because of the onset of fantasy football and your early success, I thought you had really the the most national brand of a Jacksonville Jaguar. Uh, did you sense that? Did you feel that 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 you were bigger than just a football player in Jacksonville? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say uh, I felt bigger than anyone. I mean, first of all, you know, part of the reason people didn't know Tony Baselli because he went to the other school. You know what I mean? <laughs> And so that, that that it always plays down. Um, no, they didn't just you know win happened? a softball championship, did they? <laughs> exactly, and they're not going to probably do what UCLA will do in baseball, but it happens. But um, the, the funny thing was, fantasy football came in. A lot of people didn't really uh, accept it. It wasn't accepted. It was something that I did with my friends back home to keep in contact with, and I just accepted it. I was like, look, people are going to do it regardless. Might as well be a, the, one of the first players to go out there and and, and say like I'm for fantasy football and, and and that helped transcend the game. I think in Jacksonville and Zero, Mike Sims Walker became a household name uh, for a couple years. Mercedes Lewis when he when you know we were playing together doing well. Uh, David Garrard. I mean, we started getting names because we were scoring points and the guys were seeing us. We were celebrating and then all of a sudden the red zone came on and you could start to see different people and you know I just I just came at the right time and and had a lot of good people around me that uh, that allowed me to you know, in the off season to kind of go out there and, and then do my thing on the, on the TV side. I mean, Jack, uh, coach Del Rio did a great job of just really letting me go out. You know, there's some coaches that'll say, uh, you can't do this. You can't do that. Uh, Jack was different cause he was a player's coach and he was a player and he understood that, you know, you know, we have, we have a brand that we have to build. And so part of that, that brand was going out there and aligning with fantasy football. I want to say it was, it was in the Jets game that we came out and said it, and a lot of people yeah. uh, lost because we took a knee. Yes. But it, it kind of put us on it put us on on the map in Jacksonville, which was huge. And so people started to check us out, and I, and I felt like fantasy football allowed us to our fan base to grow and uh, and helped our organization as well. I was going to bring that up. That Jets game that was reminiscent of what Todd Gurley did, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I told Todd I was like, hey man, like. Just next time you do it, just put my name on it. Put some respect <laughs> on my name and say, like, MJD did a little bit. Now, uh, you know, Todd, it's funny that being with the Rams and seeing how they play the game and how they practice and what they do, um, they're very innovative and they're they're really in tune to the situations of football. And so uh, from what I heard, um, when they were in the huddle, all the linemen were telling Todd, like, when you break this one, you better take a knee because everyone knew what was going on. And so uh, – he did. He, he did what he was supposed to do, which was pretty awesome, right? He, he comes back a couple years later, and everyone's excited about it. First of all, Mo, I love how you call Jack the real players coach because you never had to do Oklahoma drills like I did. So, okay, <laughs> by all means, call him a players coach. But uh, but I got to ask you, you know, so you spent some time with the Rams. You're covering them and everything. And you, you look at Sean McVay's offense now that he's implemented, the RPO offense. Um, there's no doubt it's, it's, it's been a game changer so far. But my question is, do you think it has the staying power in the NFL, or is it kind of just a fad, kind of like the wildcat and the option were well well first i also i'll tell you this my rookie year i did i did the oklahoma drill with everybody i was a running back so <laughs> did you win when you came in i was a little more seasoned um, <laughs> oh, i know i know <laughs> so so it, it, you know they they definitely put me in i won one and then i was the runner for the rest of them so you know i i did my i did my uh my dirty work Earned his uh, you know, the, the funny thing the funny thing about sean mcveigh is every year it's something different 
right? It's not the same thing over and over again. When he first came and was a coach of the Rams, um, they didn't do the fly sweep motion. They did some different things. And, and he's very – he's a, a guy that likes to go out and get knowledge, and he'll find different ways to go out and and um, and better his team, better his, his offense. And so I think he just keeps evolving as the game evolves. So last year you saw everyone running the fly motion, handing the ball off, doing all those things because they saw how successful it was with Sean McVay. Well, then he comes back with, you know, the old uh, – um, Geno Smith played a Tavon Austin little quick pitch, yeah. right, where you tap it to the guy. So he, they were just finding different ways to be innovative, and I think it'll continue to go as long as he stays ahead of the time. Now, once the time catches up to him, I think you you eventually have to go back to having a fullback, which you saw in the Super Bowl, where the Patriots end up going back to getting a fullback who's going downhill and wearing down the, the Rams' defense and then scoring that, that last drive. And so those are things that you, you I think they'll learn from and they'll continue to work on, but as an innovative coach, a guy that takes offense very seriously, some of the things that they'll be doing this year, it's going to be exciting to see because he is now the face of offense and, and what he's able to do. And, and there's a lot of uh, people always looking, and he always has something under his sleeve. Speaking of Sean McVay, uh, you know, he's recently said that Todd Gurley is going to get a lot less reps during the regular season to try to save him a little bit. I mean, you kind of look at the landscape now of the NFL, Mo, and you got, you got Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, possibly David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, and Melvin Gordon that are going to be like the toted bell cows. Uh, and everybody else is going to be kind of by committee. And you're a guy who split time with Fred Taylor, and you've also been the bell call as well. So you've been in both scenarios. Uh, from your opinion, do you prefer more of the committee approach of the way to do things or do you just prefer just to be the bell cow especially we're talking about career longevity yeah so obviously when you're talking about longevity you want to definitely do the the committee that's the best way to go i thought that when we and brent you were there you saw it firsthand Mm -hmm. Uh, it was myself fred taylor lebrandon tofield greg jones we had a ton of guys uh Derek winbush montel owens i mean we would go into games with five or six backs up and uh, it would, it would, you know, we would tear it. Like, we would run on anyone. I remember we played Tampa, uh, and David got hurt. We started Quinn Gray, and we ran the ball 17 straight times in one game in Tampa against a really good Tampa Buccaneers team. So I think the committee way is the way to go, but you still be a bell cow. And I think people don't understand what bell cow really means. Some people say, oh, well, you got to carry the ball 30 times a game. Well, yeah, that's pretty tough to do, right? 30 times on the 16-game season, I don't care who you are, you're going to wear down and break down. Um, I think if you, you, you acquire 18 to 20 touches, you're a bell cow because now you become a game changer. And I think that's what you're going to see with Todd Gurley. I still think that Todd is going to be a bell cow back when the game's online. He's going to get the ball in a four-minute situation. Um, when, you know, two-minute, he'll be a guy out there making plays. But like Coach McVay said, last year they ran him so much that towards the end of the year he started to wear down. And you don't want that because, again, you're trying to make a run throughout the playoffs. So you, your job is – and it's a fine line that you have to deal with with running backs is, you know, it's kind of like you want to use them to keep them, to keep them you know, um, not rusty and keep them up and on, on edge. But then you don't want to use them too much where you wear them down. And so uh, I think Todd will still be a bell cow. I think uh, Le'Veon will be a bell cow, but I don't think Le'Veon is going to carry the ball 30 times a game like he was doing before in Pittsburgh where he's having 400 touches in a season, back-to-back season. That's going to be tough to do. Former Jaguars great Maurice Jones-Drew with us on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 here in Jacksonville. All right, rapid fire. I'd love to keep you forever, but we can't do that. Uh, you've got things to do, and our show ends at 6. Uh, Nick Foles, you love it or not so much? I, well, I, t- I text you. I know. And, you know, my, what, what did I, what, what tell my text? People don't know that we talk all the time. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I lean on you on some, for some of my information. You're my source. 
but I think talking to a lot of people in the building, they, they love Nick Foles. I, I love it. I think if he can come in there and put the ball where it needs to be and they can lean on their, their running game and not have so many three and outs, uh, that defense will get back to where it was two years ago and they'll be ready to make a run. Blake Bortles, uh, I know this is kind of a year stop in, in L.A., it looks like. Uh, will he start in the NFL again? Oh, I think he will. All right. Do you want me to elaborate on it? or just, just... No, I was just, I was just waiting <laughs> to see you. if you were going to. I like it. So you think you will? Oh, well, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll say this. There's so many different coaches that come out of the Rams organization, as you saw the last couple of years. Yeah. If they continue to have success, I think he'll go to a – if there's a coach that leaves there and goes to a new team and they don't have an established quarterback, you'll bring Blake there for a couple of years to get your team up and going. And then, uh, you know, that's kind of where he'll get his start at. Well, i got one more question here before we wrap up. Uh, one of the craziest stories I have of you was in the locker room, and I forgot what game it was, but uh, I couldn't help but notice, and you didn't really wear headphones a lot, if I'm not mistaken. You listen to a lot of music. But one game you had your headphones in, and it was so loud, and, and it was Evanescence, Bring Me Back to Life, which uh, yes. was was the last yes. song I ever pictured you listening to. So so my question is, what what's another track, what's another song that people might be surprised that gets you pumped up before a game or a workout now? Well, I went I went uh, to De La Salle High School, which is uh, arguably the greatest high school in, in America. Um, <laughs> but that's where I, I got a lot of those songs from that pump you up. One of my favorite songs ever is Phil Collins, uh, In the Air of the Night. I think yeah. everyone enjoys okay. that. Okay. And then also Lunatic Fringe. It's okay. another good one that you you know you can catch me checking out every now and then. Very good. Uh, all right, two more to end. I brought this up earlier in the show. I always thought there was a little friction between you and the fan base later in your career because of your holdout um, and the 38-day holdout. I've always defended that because I thought you were toward the end. That was your last chance to get money and get paid in a, in a career that wasn't going to last very long. What Can you take us back to that time? Did, did, that, did you feel oh, yeah. that from the fan base? Were, were you at all put off? Has that been mended? Do the fans still love you in Jacksonville from your point of view? What, what do you, how do you view that time? And, uh, I mean, I think they love you here in Jacksonville. I'm just asking you from your point of view. Yeah, you, you know, I felt like I tried to explain to people why, you know, the whole reason of it. It wasn't nothing personal. It was strictly business at that point. Coming off a 400-touch year, um, leading the league and rushing, all those different things. And you were starting to see guys that I was outperforming getting paid more than me. So in that situation, I think everyone would want their just due or what they felt they were owed. Um, and there was just some miscommunication um, that we didn't – or we just didn't have the communication with the organization the way I felt we should. And so as a player, the only way you can handle that is by not, by withholding your services. So that's what I did. Um, granted, I came back week one. We were playing really well, uh, running the ball well, uh, breaking my foot, and, and that, kind of, that was kind of how it was. But you're right, I knew I was coming up to the end. I was 27 at the time, 26, yeah. 27. And, you know, <clears throat> running backs are going to play, unless you're Frank Gore, which I'm still trying. i got to text Frank to see what he's been taking <laughs> or what he got going on. Cause he's still playing at a high level right now. Um, and that's a guy I trained with. But, you know, unless you're Frank Gore major- or Adrian Peterson, majority of us, by the time you turn 30, 31 – you starting to, you know, you're really like trying to push it at that point, and you know that's where injuries happen. So you're right in that situation. I just, I just wanted to be, to get paid what I felt I should have, and it wasn't like asking for a bunch of money. It just didn't happen, and so I think people took it as I didn't want to be in Jacksonville, but I had nothing to do with. It. That's why I didn't. If you remember that holdout, I never spoke. Yeah. Right. Which I is just, unusual just, for you. <laughs> right. I, just, I literally, right. I, I, I would literally, I was working out training so I could be the best when I came back, but I, you know, I had to make sure that. Um, 
you know, we were we were there. And so I, I, even though when I come back, though, I still see people all the time. Uh, I'm actually uh, going to host a camp next year. We're working on that with a couple people and, and doing a golf tournament again like we did right before I left. Um, and I want, I've been trying to figure out a way to get that back going and find the perfect time. And I think we found it. So I'll be back and working with, you know, the different charities that I was working with in the hospital as well. And I still feel like we, we have a, a we, we still, our, our relationship has been mended. Yeah, I do too. I, I just, I remember that time and I, I, I kind of remember taking your side in that too. And then it was, uh, you don't get many chances to get paid in the NFL, especially as a running back. So I, I kind of understood it. Uh, and now we got to get you in the pride of the Jaguars. Would that mean something to you if that were to happen down the road? Oh man, that would mean everything. You know, you. I, I was just talking to Derek Marks on the video game the other day, and we were, you know, I know we didn't win the way we thought we should have and the things that we wanted to do, but. We worked our butt off, and, you know, we did it for that city. Um, I know a lot of people in, the, in Jacksonville, like, they would see us out. We would always be cordial with them. Uh, Austin, you know that was something I prided myself on, being that locker room, in that locker room, was to make sure that we were we were visible in the city, that people could see us. Absolutely. Because it meant a lot to the people of Jacksonville. And so um, being in the pride would, would, would definitely, you know, uh, be that final piece that everyone, I think, is waiting for. And it's something that we were all trying to get to at one point. And it wouldn't just be for me. It would be for – all the guys that that I that I played with, and you know, all the the guys that you know we put in that hard work for. So uh, it would it would mean a lot. Yeah, I think it will happen down the road. Uh, last one, uh, favorite memory from Jacksonville? Do you have one? Uh, the best quote, by the way, is Jeff Fisher about you rolling rolling ball of butcher knives, uh, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I, I, favorite memory, well, obviously, it's the one time, the one playoff we went to. And uh, but it wasn't. I mean, beating Pittsburgh twice well, that was awesome. But I think it was being in that divisional round and going against Tom Brady, the team that was undefeated, and then having them where we wanted them, and you know, and just missing out and being that close. So that that to me is something I always tell people: like, you never know when your time will be, so you have to you have to make sure you savor every moment. And then obviously being with the Rams last year and seeing them go to the Super Bowl, play in the same the guy that I played against, and then seeing how the the Patriots still were able to. Find a way. I mean, that memory, I, I'll never forget going to Foxborough. It being raining cold, like freezing uh, rain and how cold it was and us being right there when we had a chance to, to take the game over. Um, yeah, that moment always lived with me. Yeah, well, uh, great career here in Jacksonville. We appreciate you stopping by, man. I know you're busy. Uh, have fun on NFL Network. Tell the family hello, and I hope you have a good summer. I will. I appreciate it. And I'll be just call me anytime you want. I'll, I'll definitely come on. And love to talk to Jack. Absolutely, we'll do it when the season starts. Maurice Jones Drew, one of the Jaguars greats. Thanks, bud. Good talking to you, man. All right, guys. See you guys later. See you later, uh, Maurice Jones Drew. Uh, good to catch up with him on a lot of different fronts. When we come back, uh, we'll put a bow on the show and also give you a one hundred dollar gift card to Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. It's coming up next on ESPN six ninety. Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and in the iHeartRadio app. Uh, great to have Maurice Jones Drew on. I uh, always love catching up with him. See him a lot now. Uh, Stuart and I do on the road at the Super Bowl or NFL Draft, wherever it is, uh, doing a great job covering things. And it's cool that he's been able to stay in the game. And I know he always keeps Jacksonville uh, close to his heart. So pretty cool. Um, we didn't get deep, in, deep dive into the stories of the locker room. What happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, just a whole lot of me fighting. That's about was a pretty it. good line that, about that, him, though. <laughs> that seems to be the thesis of whatever. I mean, yeah, we ask any player, my yeah. former teammates, what, were, what about me? I, I guess you fighting. were made to get in the cage. I guess so, man. It <laughs> all worked out in the end. Hey, how about this? The NFL, We only got like two minutes to go. And uh, I do want to say let's 
call. What your birthday's? You're 34. Yeah. But the birthday's on the sixth. Correct. So let's six six. Mm. Easy. Careful with that. Careful with uh, that last one. So how about caller number six for a $100 gift card? Jumpin' Jack's House of Food. Uh, give Scott a buzz. Star star six ninety or. Nine zero four three six two nine nine zero one. I'm calling star, my number star, now. Star six ninety sounds much easier. It does. Scott, uh, I'll be so talking to you in a second. Jump here, man. in, caller number six to win. And by the way, apparently we got knocked off. There's a storm in the air. We got knocked off the air on the AM side for a couple of minutes during the Mojo interview. You can check it out on the podcast, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN six ninety or any of the video platforms, Facebook. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, it's all there. Um, but on the AM side, I know you got knocked out for a couple of minutes. So uh, thanks for uh, being patient. It was a weather. I'll blame it on uh, Mike Burrish. But Felipe <laughs> Franks got drafted in the 31st round. Did you see this? He did, and then he released a statement through the team he saying, did. I'm playing football. Yeah, <laughs> and, and but it begs the question. Hunter Barco says, I'm going to school, and he gets drafted in what, like the 20, what was that, 24th round? Something yeah, like that. something like that. And Felipe Franks, who you know is not, you're not going to get, gets drafted. So I think it begs the question, are there too many rounds in the draft? If they're just taking flyers like that, I mean, seriously, can I get picked? They did this with Driscoll a couple of years back. I know too, they do. It. And, and I get the, the quarterback thing. I, sure. I understand from a pitching standpoint, why not out. take a flyer? Yeah. It's not a lot of money on the line. But now, if you make too much of a charade of it, if you know the guys aren't coming, I don't get it. Maybe there's too many rounds. How many rounds are there? It's like 50. 40. Oh, is there now 40? 40 this Used year. Used to be 50. Used to be 50. Heck, Mike Piazza got picked in the 62nd round. Ooh. One year. And that guy got a video game named after him. Um, <laughs> well, he deservingly so. Well, I'm, I'm saying, yeah. yeah I mean, the hey, 62nd hey, round. That was a compliment, <laughs> sir. Okay? Not trying to badmouth Mike Piazza, one of, the uh, best ma- one of the best mustaches ever. All right. We got to go. Hopefully, you're winning a $100 gift card. Thanks to uh, Jumpin' Jack's House of Food for uh, dropping off the food today. Hope you have a good rest of the night. Make sure you check us out, CBS 47 and Fox 30. Tomorrow, our Jag series continues, and we will have, I think, one of the overlooked greats in Jaguars history on the program. For Stuart Weber, Austin Lane, Coos who only worked a half a day, <laughs> Scott, or the big unit, yeah. Randy Johnson, I'm Brett Martin. Have a good rest of your night, everybody. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.